This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Once upon a time, there was a magical place where it never rained, and Shia LaBeouf wrapped the plot of a movie. It's Holes, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to another episode of This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. This week's episode, we're talking about the 2000 or 1997 literary classic, Holes, 2003 mm-hmm. Film classic holes. <laughs> we have a co-host this week because both of us have read this book before and reread it again, and we needed, you know, that non-book reader on yeah. our show this week. So we're introducing Miss April Admanski from No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Podcast. April, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's uh, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So April, uh, tell us a little bit about No Such Thing as a Bad Movie. If any of our viewers, listeners, I always say viewers used to YouTube, don't know mm. what your podcast is. Uh, well, it's uh, me and uh, uh, my boyfriend, Colin, and our friend, Justin, and we just talk about bad movies, basically, um, but we kind of talk about like what we liked about them, and we try and kind of make a case for all of these terrible movies that we watch, and you know, we kind of laugh about it, and kind of like, uh, very very similar to good, bad, or bad, bad type of thing. Yeah, so if any of, the, any of our listeners, which we have a fair number that are... Um, who are good, better, bad, bad fans yep. who've come crossover to this podcast. Fans. Crossover fans from that mm-hmm. may already know of No Such Thing as a Bad Movie. Uh, we've talked about it on Good, Better, Bad, Bad. We've mentioned it on here before. Uh, Colin was on our Ryan's Babe episode in the intro. That's and right. we, mentioned yes. the po- <laughs> we mentioned the podcast there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I love the show. Uh, I highly recommend. I just listened to your... It's not your most recent, but it's two episodes ago, I think. Uh, Tiptoes. You guys oh, covered yeah. Tiptoes. <laughs> which that was, that's a crazy one. It is a pretty bonkers movie, uh, which we also did on Good, Better, Bad, Bad back in oh, the day. That's right. That's yeah. right. So uh, April's going to join us as our, like I said, our resident non-book reader in this instance. Not that you don't read books, but you just didn't read this one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, we wanted to mention before we get started into our main segments that uh, Katie and I were recently on uh, Philosophers in Space, which is a podcast we both enjoy quite a bit. It's a philosophy podcast that talks about uh, sci- takes specific sci-fi uh, stories, movies, books, TV shows, t- episodes of TV shows, and then relates them to a specific philosophy topic. Uh, it's hosted by Aaron uh, Aaron. Re- Oh, no. Rabinowitz. I keep wanting to call him Aaron Rabbi and Thomas Smith. Uh, it's a great podcast. If you like sci-fi, if you like philosophy, we were on talking about. Were we, oh, we were about? talking about The Golden Man yes, by Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick short story. Uh, we're also going to be on there. They do a uh, a similar like bad movie riffing thing that we're going to be on here in a couple weeks. Uh, we haven't recorded that yet, but we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about next. Yeah. With the Nick, uh, Cage, Nick movie. Cage movie, yeah. uh, which is loosely based on The Golden Man, which I've never seen. Um, mm, but apparently that epi- it's very loose. <laughs> apparently it's very bad and very loosely based. <laughs> but uh, that episode comes out tomorrow of their podcast tomorrow. If you're listening to this or today when you're listening to this, because this comes out on Wednesday, that yes. episode comes out on Wednesday. So there you go. Check out Philosophers in Space. We're on that. And one final thing before we get started. 
So, as everybody knows who's a regular listener, each before each segment, we play a little clip that somewhat relates to what the segment is. Uh, so, for like Guess Who, we play a Princess Bride clip where mm-hmm. uh, Wesley or Inigo asks, Who are you? You know, that sort of thing. We want to switch those up. We've been using the same ones for like two, like two years, years now. Yeah. Um, and I like them, they're all great. Uh, and if we don't get good suggestions, we'll just keep them. But <laughs> we're reaching out to you, the fans, uh, if you have suggestions that relate to the specific segments that are good movie quotes that we can pull mm-hmm. and use, send them in. You can either email them to us at this uh, this film is lit at gmail.com or message on Facebook or Twitter, however you want to just send us like a, a, what what the quote is, what movie, that sort of thing. And we'll do our best to be able to go find it. Ideally, if you can find like a YouTube video and send it, that's even better. Yeah. But if not, we'll, we'll, we'll go out and do our best to find them um, and pull them. And then maybe they'll uh, they'll take over as the segment clips. Uh, but again, if we don't get any good ones, we'll just keep using the same ones because I'm lazy. <laughs> we'll so. just keep rolling. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is it. Let's get into the main meat and bones of the episode. Like I said, we're talking about holes. And our first segment is Guess Who? And if you're new to the show, what Guess Who is, it's a game show portion. Right, Katie? Yes. So what are we going to do here, Katie? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. So what we're going to do on Guess Who, um, we are going to read some character descriptions from the book. And uh, April, our lovely assistant, um, is going to try and guess which characters we're describing. Since she has only seen the movie. Yes. And she's going to base this purely on their movie-going experience. So it's kind of a test of uh, how accurate the filmmakers were to what's described in the book. And how well... The movie watcher was paying attention. No pressure. <laughs> that's, that's right. Oh, okay. All right. Katie, I'll go first with the first one here. Okay. Even though he was inside, he wore sunglasses and a cowboy hat. He had a tattoo of a rattlesnake on his arm, and as he signed his name, the snake's rattle seemed to wiggle. That's a very good description, first off. Yes. Um, I'm going to say John Voight's character. I'm sorry I don't know everyone's name. No, that's I've got fine. IMDb I, here. It's all oh, right. Good. Mr. Sir. That's yes. right. Yeah. It's all good. good. I never remember the characters' names. I just describe them. Yeah, you them. give actors' names so often. Yeah. yeah, especially if they're like a name actor. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I remember like the, the, the rattlesnake sound when he was around. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to go for him. That is correct. Nailed it. One for one. Uh, Yeah, that is Mr. Sir. He's not in the scene he's introduced. He's not wearing the sunglasses and hat, but he does wear them in other scenes outside. Um, But Mm -hmm. he's not wearing them when he's first introduced, mainly because I think they want you to see that that's John Voight. Probably. They want it to be obvious. Like, look, it's (laughs) John. (laughs) Look who we have in our movie, you guys. It's John Voight. And he has a ridiculous haircut. Oh, Oh, very ridiculous. It's beautiful. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's something. Katie, next one. All right. The top of his head was shaved so close it was almost bald, but his face was covered in a thick, curly black beard. His nose was badly sunburned. Uh, Okay. I'm going purely on the sunburn part. The other stuff doesn't really match. I'm guessing it's... Um, it's the guy that was in Buster Scruggs, um, yes. Doctor d- Something. I think his name was. He was like the guy who guarded the kids, and he always yeah. had like uh, suntan lotion on his nose. Yeah, Pendasky. Yeah, Pend- yeah Pendansky. Or Pendansky Pend- yeah. is his name. Uh, they call him Mom a lot in the movie and oh. the book. So um, it's like their nickname for yeah. him. Yeah, he's mom. supposed to be like their counselor. Yeah, 
but that is oh. that is him and uh he doesn't have All a right. beard though no he doesn't no beard but other than that I mean, they got the sunburn on. right the sunburn yeah they really were like can't get anything else we'll at least get the sunburn yeah <laughs> yeah all right next one we have a uh, what do i think six here yeah so two for two so far she had dark skin, already narrows it down pretty significantly, just the she. I could have stopped after yeah. she, and you're like, well, there's like two <laughs> options. <laughs> yeah. I guess his mom is another one, yeah. She had dark skin and a very wide mouth. She had no left foot. Her leg stopped at her ankle. Um. Well, when I first read the, like, or heard, like, no left foot, I yeah. was like, what? I don't I, yeah. I don't remember anyone that didn't have a foot, but I'm going to guess the old lady in the flashback. <laughs> yes, that is Madame Zeroni, uh, okay. who is the uh, fortune teller. Yes. Um, that uh, uh, lays, Elia, lays down a pretty sick curse. Yeah. On yeah. the Yelnats family. That, that curses the Yelnats family. And yeah, in the book, she has no left foot. I didn't notice. I think she has both of her feet. Seemingly. I don't know if they show it. They show a shot of her sitting in her chair, but I can't recall now if she has both feet or not. I mean, they never show her standing. True. So, so she, yeah, it's hard to tell. I don't recall seeing her bottom half, yeah. like, at all. They may have just skipped over that. Yeah. Like, nah. So, but yes, three for three, correct. Again, the, the female characters, there's not a ton in this one, so that made it a little bit easier. Uh, he had a long, oh, wait, I did that one. You're next. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> I'm just going right through. He had a long, skinny neck. And a big round head with wild, frizzy blonde hair that stuck out in all directions. Uh, I'm going to go with Stanley. Ooh, first one incorrect. Uh, This is a minor, well, somewhat minor, uh, relatively minor minor character. character. But he does, it is a pretty spot on description translated to the movie. You probably just don't remember this character's name because he's not super important. But uh, one of the fellow campers, Zigzag, who is the guy who Stanley gets in a fight with. Yes, uh, he, he did the, have crazy hair. Yes. yes, and that is his uh, his big thing in the book is that he has crazy hair uh, and a long neck, right? You said? Yeah, yeah, long. He's neck. like one of the only campers that gets a, a full descript- on description yeah. of what he looks mm-hmm. like, which is yeah. interesting because he's not like pivotal. No, he is the one that, like I said, like we said, he gets Stanley gets no fight with him, but he's not as important as like X Ray. Yeah, or who's kind of more of a main character. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so three for four. Uh, final two here. A tall woman with red hair stepped out. She wore a black cowboy hat and black cowboy boots that were studded with turquoise stones. The sleeve on her shirt, sleeves on her shirt were rolled up and her arms were covered with freckles, as was her face. Well, if this matches the character in the movie, it'd have to go with Sigourney Weaver. It sounds like her, who is the, ward- the warden. Yes. yes, yes, she is the yes. warden. I think that's, well, she has, we find out her name eventually, if I remember correctly. Mm. But um, for most of the movie and the book, she's just known as the warden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one translated pretty perfect. Other than the wardrobe, she's not wearing black cowboy boots. Yeah, it's not exact. Stones, but she is wearing cowboy yeah, boots. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close. I feel like they got the spirit of it. Yeah, and she's got the red mm-hmm. hair and freckles and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So uh, very similar, but yeah. Because I, I, to me, the the black cowboy boots with turquoise stone studs is like very distinctive, and they mm-hmm. didn't seem strange to not do that exact thing. I guess there was a reason, but because yeah. they just kind of like generic cowboy boots, but whatever. So four, five for four for five, four for five. Last one. Last Katie. one. Okay. She appeared to be Hispanic with straight black hair and dark eyes. 
there's so there's so few women in this <laughs> yeah. story like because that could be patricia arquette's character um mm. but i think it's a more big deal that she's supposed to be a white woman in the book so i'm gonna guess that this is the the girl that um the great 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 grandfather was trying to marry maybe the uh oh. pig, the pig stealer yes <laughs> he, uh, like that, uh, that i don't woman? remember her name it was um, it was no. like uh it was something with an m it was like yeah moira or something, something like, like that. that uh because mm. they're in latvia but no unfortunately i think she is also blonde in the book if i that character yeah. if i remember correctly which she is in the movie uh this is actually the lawyer uh that comes to oh. save stanley oh yes. well, uh yeah I don't know how I could have got that one. No. That was a I, don't, bit I don't think they tell us her name in the movie. I don't recall that we learned her name in they the movie. They say I don't think so. They might say her first name, but they yeah. don't say her last name, which she is Miss Morango. Ms. Yeah, Ms. Morango in, in the, the book. book. Um and she has straight hair, which the actress playing which I've seen that actress in something else and it was bugging me, uh, who plays the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I knew her from. She's but, in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I think she just has smaller roles in a lot of stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, like a lot of TV shows, but um, uh, she has like curly hair. Yeah, it's like, curly. It's in not the movie. straight. So I, her character felt very different to me in the book, and I actually think I have it in the later segment uh, mm-hmm. than she is uh, portrayed in the movie, which I thought was interesting. But five, uh, four, four, six, not too bad. You know, it's a passing grade. So <laughs> oh, good, nice. <laughs> All right, Made we're it. gonna move. <laughs> we're gonna move on to our next segment, which is was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Was that in the book is a segment where April, uh, who obviously, as we mentioned before, did not read the book, is going to ask us some questions. Because a lot of times when you're watching a movie, you're like, was that, you know, you're watching something that's an adaptation. You might wonder yourself, like, that seems like that was probably just added for the movie or vice versa. Um, And so April's going to ask us some questions about what things she saw as she was watching the film that made her wonder, was that in the book? And we got uh, we got the answers. So, April, what's your first question? Okay, first one was um, John Voight's character, Mr. Sir. He's kind of uh, introduced as. Um, eating sunflower seeds because he's like, ah, I just quit smoking. And I, th- I thought maybe that was seemed like something how like studio was like, I don't want a character smoking. How, how about he eats sunflower seeds? That's so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that explanation of yeah. why you ask that question, because uh, I can definitely see that. That, you know, especially because yeah. it, right, it, it's like a kid's movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, we don't want a character who smokes. Especially if you weren't sure when the book was written. Like, because mm-hmm. it, and it yeah. was like the mid 90s, which by then it was kind of phasing out the smoking. But, you know, if you weren't sure, I could see that for sure. But no, that is a very specific character thing that John Voight does in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. He is quit. He has quit smoking and yep. he is chewing sunflower seeds. Uh, and, and when he is introduced, he has a giant sack of them in his office mm-hmm. or whatever that he chews. Um, and I think it's also one of those little character things that they use throughout the book and the movie to just make him a little more uh, off-putting. Yeah, because he's always like yeah. chewing them and, and like spitting, spitting them, and, and you know, it's like spitting. Yeah, yeah he's just well, yeah. like chewing and spitting out sunflower seeds is probably like the grossest thing you can do, <laughs> second to like chewing tobacco. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's yeah. less like ugh. So I get it. <laughs> it wor- it I, worked. I don't mind some sunflower seeds if I'm out playing baseball, but if I'm in a setting other than that, I am nothing to do with sunflower <laughs> seeds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to be chewing on them when I'm in my office. That's a weird, very strange thing to me. Uh, all right. Second question. What do you got? 
well, I was very surprised with all of the gun violence in the movie, which kind of goes back to my last question, which was like, I thought this was a kid's movie and there's people are, are pointing guns and shooting guns and there's death by guns. And I was just very surprised at the adult content specifically mm. with uh, with this. But I was also not sure, like you said, when it was written or, yeah. you know, people maybe it was uh, 2003. I think this came out. This was so. the film. Yeah. 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 Um, well, Mr. Sir does have a gun. Yeah. Um, and he fires at once to kill a lizard which we also mm. see him do in the movie. Yeah. Um, although I think he might do that more than once in the movie. He, I can't remember. Uh, I think he just does it. He shoots at another one later, but yeah. misses or I don't remember. Um, and he, in the book, he fires at once in the air to break up a fight. Yeah. But that's it. Like he doesn't yeah. use another map, but there is a fair amount of gun violence in the flashbacks. We see, we get, we get told about Kate. Um, mm-hmm. We see it in the movie. We don't really see it necessarily. I think it's more just like described that she was this outlaw and we assume and maybe one of the heists or something is mentioned. I can't recall in the book. Um, but the particular, the gun violence uh, where Sam is killed um, yeah. and in their story specifically is straight from the book. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is a hand uh, quite a bit. Um, and, and I think I would probably classify the book as more bordering on young adult or is there a category that you would describe this as Katie? Um, yeah, I would, I would describe it as kind of like writing that line. Isn't there a name for that? Like before young adult, but not children's lit. Uh, middle grade, middle grade. We yeah. could call it. I think it hedges maybe a little more towards young adult. Yeah. I read it in like the fifth grade. Yeah. I think so I, I was like 11 or 12. Or grade. Yeah. Is there armed guards in the prison? There's the just the one. It's there's not armed guards, uh, and we'll talk about this scene later where Sir, Mr. Sir kind of explains the security. Mm-hmm. But there, he he is the only one that we know of in the book that has a gun. Is Mr. Sir? Yeah. He has his like mm-hmm. pistol that he carries around, um, and he he. Uh, there are no armed guards though, because as Mr. Sir explains, we're in the middle of the desert. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, you like, can run, but they've got you're the just only gonna, water yeah. for like miles and miles. Yeah, so they don't have yeah. armed guards. They just yeah. have the one gun, and he specifically says. It's just for lizards or whatever. So that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Having having people with machine guns in like this ju- juvenile detention center <laughs> yeah. where it's like, what are they like murderers? Like all of that. They're all just guilty of like small petty Usually crimes. Usually like small anyway. crimes yeah. and like stealing things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Next question. What do you got? Does Armpit, <laughs> which is one of the kids, do a random funky dance to a record scratching song? <laughs> Uh, no, there is no dance scene in the book. Uh, uh, I think there, I, that scene explicitly, it's funny that you mentioned it felt so explicitly to me like a, a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like that was, uh, they, they shot, they edited the movie and then they're like, we need a scene because, and you, Katie, you mentioned this later, how mean all the kids are all Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, and mm. and then so when we get to the end of the movie and they're kind of all friends and like friendly, I think they like we need at least a couple more scenes where it seems like they get right. along. <laughs> so they like maybe went oh. back and added this scene of them dancing together and like having fun because it kind of felt comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And then it's yeah. like not relevant to anything. And I'm feeling like maybe that's what it was. They were like so they got some note that was like. Wait, are they all friends? I thought they all hated each other because like most of the movie, they're kind of like mean to each other a lot and stuff like that. Um, And which is a little bit different in the book. And we'll talk about sort of the dynamic of the relationships between Mm -hmm. the kids. But uh, that scene is not not in the book. There is no dancing. Mm -hmm. They don't have a dance off. Not that we see. Not that we see. They could. (laughs) But it is not mentioned. (laughs) Too bad. 
All right. Um, next question. Was the warden Sigourney Weaver um, a woman in the book? No, I think Boom. I think we already know that she was. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we could have deleted about that, that. I forgot about that. Well, yeah. I thought that like, because it's like a traditional male character. And yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. what if it was like alien and the character was actually written to be a man and they were just yeah. like, hey, Sigourney Weaver could, you know, rock this. So let's yeah. let's get mm-hmm. her in there. Because, I mean, what, what you see a lot in movies is characters are like female, like for like a specific reason because it's like, oh, they're a right. love interest or they do like some kind of like traditional female role. Yeah. Um, and, and then I thought, oh, is she going to be like somebody's like, daughter but um kind of but not really yeah Um, she ultimately is kind of i mean she's a descendant but she could also have been it doesn't matter like it's irrelevant to her specific character other than i guess arguably late uh, no yeah it's it's kind of irrelevant to her specific character um and i i think that's an interesting call to see like when you're just watching the movie going yeah i could see this going either way Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the movie specific or the book specifically I because the movie specifically plays on our and the book specifically plays on our expectations of it being a man. Yes. It's mentioned both in the book mm-hmm. and the movie that Stanley assumes that the warden is Mr. Sir at first mm-hmm. and then also assumes at, even after that, he still assumes that it's a man um, and then it ends up not being. And it's kind of subversive in that way. Yeah. Um, and the movie teases it a little by showing just her feet first. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like an androgynous yeah, shot. Cowboy boots yeah. you don't know, and jeans you don't know. And then. And then it like pans up. Yeah. And it's also really interesting because I, I believe I read that Sigourney Weaver is top build in this movie, which would make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she doesn't show up until 40 minutes into the film when is when she first <laughs> makes an appearance. So, um, but yeah, it was always a, always a woman. It was always a, when I remember when I, when I saw this movie made or when I saw this movie as being made as a kid and then I found out they cast Sigourney Weaver as the warden. I was like, yeah. That makes even like at 13, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Or however old I was at the time. The attempted lynching of Sam resulting in his being shot. Did that go down that way in in the book? Yes. Um, And it is even more brutal in the book, we think. Yeah, I I think I would say it's arguably more brutal even. I mean, it is in the movie. uh, Mm -hmm. Like they don't pull a lot of punches with the scene. But yeah, it's it's not like watered down, really. No, it is the same type of thing where they see uh, the villagers see Sam and Kate kissing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they form a lynch mob, basically. And they burn the school. And they burn the school down and all mm-hmm. that stuff happens. And then um, in the only real difference is that in the book, uh, Kate and Sam go to run away together. Yeah, they, so like, she goes to find him boat. and she's in. Yeah, she's in the boat with him as they're sail- uh, uh, rowing away. And then Trout catches up because he has a, a motor boat or whatever. Um, uh, and then the thing that makes it more brutal to me is that it... <laughs> So the way it plays out in the book is we're watching from the shore from Kate's perspective and then we see or in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. yeah, In the movie we're watching from the the shore shore from Kate's perspective and we Mm -hmm. just kind of see the silhouette and hear a gunshot and then he falls. In the book it's described as the the boat uh, capsizes Trout Walker who's the guy chasing them. Mm -hmm. His boat capsizes their boat and they fall in the water and while Sam's swimming they just shoot him dead in the water which to me feels like more even i don't know it just feels yeah. more cruel and and kate's like right there with him mm-hmm. um which is again and, I, yeah, and they basically they like pull her out kicking and screaming yeah um and then when they get back to shore she sees that they shot the donkey yeah yeah it's 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 a brutal scene for yeah. uh this type of age range of a book um and and, and again yeah. they didn't pull a lot of punches in the movie but it's slightly 
again, since we're watching from the shore and all that, it feels right. a we're, little we're more slightly sanitized. removed from it in the movie more so than we are in the book. Although the book, I will say the way that it's written, it's not, um, it doesn't, it's, it's not particularly like, it doesn't dwell on the, it doesn't dwell on it. Yeah. Um, some of those kind of harder scenes, the book, the style of the writing approaches it in a kind of clinical manner where the narrator will be like, okay, Here's what happened. Right. I'm not pulling any punches, but I'm also not describing it in lurid It's not detail. the gory mm. details. It's just, it, and it literally says, I think, the, yeah, the narrator, or quote unquote, even says something along the lines of what you said. Of like, yeah. And then what happened was they got her, they shot him, boom, boom, moving on. Um, yeah. And it kind of leaves it to your imagination, which I think also makes it worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> At least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, it's it's pretty rough. But uh, but yeah, that uh, that is in the book. That was a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> Detail answer. Okay. Um, did the warden have snake venom nail polish in an old brass case? Um, yes. Uh, one detail was changed. It was a flowered case in the book. Oh. Um, but she does have the same rattlesnake venom mm-hmm. nail polish, which That's I can't imagine actually what that would do to the color. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't. She know says how it helps the color, works, but, but I don't understand how that I, yeah, I don't, would be a thing. But maybe, who knows? I am not a whatever the person who makes makeup is. A nail technician. <laughs> nail technician, <laughs> specifically. Yeah, it's a uh, very yeah. feminine like weapon. Like, yeah, yes. I'm gonna scratch it with my poison nail polish. But yeah. points for creativity. It is very creative, and I remember being. Uh, when I read this as a, uh, again, I was probably 10 when I read this, I mm-hmm. guess, being like very, um, finding that that very intriguing, that idea. It's like watching a, a movie, like an old action movie or something where the bad guy has some weird weapon. or yeah. something, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where they have like some archaic weird weapon yeah. that they use. It's like not just a gun or a sword or something. It's like this. It's, it's always cooler when the bad person has, like, a thing. An interesting, yeah. <laughs> and it, it is very feminine. It's almost like a variant on, like, poison lipstick. Yeah. yeah. Which they play off of with the Kate uh, Kate's thing where she, mm-hmm. when she kills people, she kisses them. Yeah. Um, and they kind of, it's a slight variant on that, uh, kind of, in a way. So, uh, Does Zero have the homeless missing mother backstory because um, it yeah. seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and then at the end kind of briefly touched on and then then that, that it was kind of wrapped up very tidily at the end yeah um and it's pretty similar in the book i would mm-hmm. argue the book uh as often the case with movies to books the um the book uh those details about zero's life are sort of sprinkled in a little more over the course of the narrative as yeah. opposed to like in one scene. Um, but the scene where he kind of tells his backstory uh, to Stanley is very similar where it's like while they're learning to read mm-hmm. uh, or while he's learning to read mm-hmm. um, and write. And he kind of just goes into his backstory a little bit. Um, uh, and again, the end is different than how the book does it, but we'll talk about that in a later segment. Uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, his story is the same. Uh, he was homeless. He was left. Uh, and then he becomes a ward of the state and ends up in this, uh, in this prison camp, basically, because yeah. he stole some shoes. Spoilers. Oh. <laughs> um, how about the sploosh? Do you want to explain what sploosh is? Yeah, let's explain sploosh. What? Also, what what was that stuff? 
Okay, that is not explained <laughs> in the movie. No, it's not. <laughs> at all. I mean, um, it, it's I think alluded to. We're but... supposed to just, like, pick up on it. Yeah. We're supposed to, like, connect the dots, which is also how it is in the book, but I think the book it's maybe just does it a explicit. little better. No, they explicitly mention what, yeah. Mm. Anyways, go ahead. Okay, so the sploosh that they drink, that they find in the boat in the wreck of the Mary Lou. Yeah. Is, um, it's the old... Jars of spiced peaches yes. that Kate Barlow makes. Kate made these. Yeah. Um, and it's mentioned in the movie in like one scene that she makes great peaches. Like Trout Walker is like, she's got, she makes great peaches. Oh, something. he's like, I like her peaches. Yes. Yeah. And, it's, like yeah, and that's yeah. The, the, the double meaning there is intentional. Yeah. But. Um, and we see her give some to Sam. Yeah. In the movie. In the movie. But it's mentioned explicitly in the book so that you would not forget that where they're yeah. like, they, there's several lines talking about how great her peaches are and she makes these spiced peaches and they can them and they eat them over the course of the winter mm-hmm. uh, and they last for a long time and they're really, really good. And it, it's so it's obvious to us when we get to the boat later what they're what they're eating. It's right. way less obvious in the movie. And now I think I don't recall in the movie when uh when Stanley and Zero are eating the sploosh, do they say that it tastes like peaches? Yeah. I think, yes. Shia okay. LaBeouf is like, yeah, it kind of tastes like peaches, but it's yeah. like black, like goo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks Which really it is, gross. Yeah. And that's that's intentional, too, because it is uh, really old. And it, it's the same thing in the book where they're it's they get sick from it. Well, Zero gets sick mm-hmm. from eating it. Um, even though it kind of keeps him alive, it also has like botulism in it or something. Yeah, like, totally. Almost, I mean, yeah, yeah it, was... <laughs> it almost kills him in the book uh, and and in the movie. Kind of, they don't play it up as much in the movie, but we'll get yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, sploosh. So that's the first instance of sploosh. Is the sploosh the makes a comeback? Yes. And then they uh, when his when Stanley's dad invents the uh, cure for smelly feet. Yeah. They also name that sploosh, yeah, which that is, is also from the book. Also from the book. Same thing. It's a great name. The line while they're going up the mountain, Shia LaBeouf <laughs> says, imagine how fine Mary Lou looked in a bikini. Again, adult content. I thought this was Disney. Um, was that line <laughs> Was that line in the book? Um, not exactly. The spirit of that line I mean, is there's a very variation exactly, of it. Yeah. Um, uh, she says, I bet she looked great in a bathing suit. So they're, they're discussing Mary Lou when they, yeah. when they see the name on the boat and they're zero and Stanley are discussing it and they say, they're uh, like, they're like, Oh, I wonder who she was. Yeah. And, and, and Stanley basically says, I think it's Stanley says, or maybe it's zero. I can't remember. But somebody's one of the two says, imagine how good she must have looked in a bathing suit for somebody to name a boat after her or yeah. something like that. So, yeah, it's a bit. Eh, it's a not. It's like it's a, a bit weird, more respectful. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Uh, but it's also they are 12, well, 13 year old. kids. Yeah. You know, they're you know, they're talking like 13 year old kids. But so. it's funny because we know she was a donkey. Yeah, we know she was a donkey. Oh. So. Oh, I maybe didn't you that. didn't know she was a donkey. I don't know how clear that is in the movie. Yeah, Mary Lou is the donkey. Yeah. You, you that, know what? Until you just said it recently, I didn't even realize that that was the boat that, that he was killed oh, on. Oh. I didn't even get that. I yeah, was like, yeah. who's, who's Mary Lou? Yeah. So yeah, I didn't pay is, attention, I guess, uh, hard enough. No, you're fine. Um, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of details. And, and the movie, and this is when we get to our final verdict and, and throughout the course uh, the movie doles out a lot of information in sort of starts and goes that makes it, I think, a little hard to follow at times. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. hard to follow. Like the, the main narrative is easy to follow. 
But some of those details, especially because we're jumping between time periods yeah. and stuff, can be a little hard to put together. It's much easier in the book. Yeah, the, this story really leans on, I think, your ability to connect the dots. Yeah. Um, and in the book, I think it, it works out really nicely and it's all very clever. Um, in the movie, I think some of the smaller dots are harder to connect. Yeah. It's also hard because in the book, you're reading them. So when yeah. you see the name Mary Lou and then you see it again later and you see it again, like it's it's every time it's really like uh, doubling down and remembering, oh, yeah, that's the donkey. Oh, yeah, right. that's the name on the boat. Whereas a lot of times in the movie, it's an off uh, offhand line where where Sam mentions, this is my donkey, Mary Lou. And, and, you're, then, you're well, and then later on, you see the name then Mary Lou. you see Lou, the name Mary Lou, not, and you're like not connecting right. it. Yeah. It's the smaller dots that are harder to connect, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just really fast. Like the yeah. scenes yeah. were jumping back and forth, and it was just kind of hard to kind of keep up with it, you know? Yeah. It's definitely one of those things that this is one of those movies that I think stands well enough on its own and we'll, we'll get to it, but uh, is also very greatly benefits from having read the book because mm-hmm. those, those dots are a yeah. lot easier to connect in that regard. So got a couple more questions. What's your next one? Speaking of the Mary Lou boat, um, suicide by lizard and um, <laughs> Patricia Arquette's, uh, well, she meets some bandits or whatever. And they're like, you're going to wish you were dead. And she says, I've been wishing I was dead for a long time, which is really sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is it is a yeah. brutal line. Um, so in the book, it's I've been wishing I was dead for the last twenty years. Yeah. Mm. Um, so similar. Similar, mm-hmm. but not exactly the same. Uh, so the the people who come and threaten her and want her to take them to her buried loot are Trout Walker. Which I don't know how clear this is in the movie. Yeah, I don't. It, it's oh, not yeah, super clear. I, yeah. See, I wouldn't that. be. That doesn't remotely surprise me because I had a hard time realizing that was Trout Walker, I even think, though they say it. But well, it's, it, they say it. But I think that's also why they gave him a gold tooth. Oh, it still didn't wasn't yeah. enough to me, I don't think. Because he doesn't have a gold tooth in the book. No. I, it's not mentioned. No. But I, I, I think that's why they did that, to try to visual cue us. I think they needed to cast a more distinctive looking human being in that role <laughs> if they wanted, or something. Because yeah. he's just kind of a generic looking guy, and then later he's like... <laughs> Still generic looking and also yeah. wearing a hat. And also and, like dirty. And dirty. And so old, it's like age, old age makeup. Too, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a little tough. But that is the guy who killed Sam. Yeah. So it's him and then the woman that he ended up marrying. Yeah. See, I think I was getting him confused with the warden or not the warden, yeah. the like police chief or whatever that also was trying to make out with her. And then yes. she mm-hmm. shoots him. So there was two bad yes. guys in that time period yes and yeah. they're vaguely similar looking yes. you're not wrong so that's again yeah. they're generic looking white generic guys. white guys yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh so it, it makes sense but um yeah because I, I i had a feeling as i was watching i was like i feel like this would be hard to know who is mm-hmm. who here and what's going on unless you're like really like zeroed in on like every detail this is um, why we need somebody who hasn't read the book i know that's why it's there yeah uh it's, that's the whole premise of this podcast <laughs> nailed it <laughs> Um, but yeah, the line is there and she does die by lizard. Uh, she does not pick it up and like have it bite her in the book. She oh. just uh, is sitting there and it crawls onto her and bites yeah, her and she, she just, just like lets it bite her. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. But she doesn't actively like have it bite her. So, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Similar. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of like, didn't Cleopatra like take a poison snake and like yeah, an bite asp, her? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Kinda like, a black like or a bl- mm-hmm. adder. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yes, she did. 
And I think it's definitely allusions to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, was John Voight's secret name Marion? <sighs> oh, boy. We're going to get to this. We got a lot to say about this <laughs> uh, later. The short answer is no. The short answer is no. Uh, okay. I have a whole diatribe in yeah, my final verdict about this. it, and it, we, we have thoughts on it later. So if you're interested in that, we're going to put a pin in it, and we'll get back to it later. Uh, okay. Final question. Um, the very last line of the movie uh, is voiceover. says, I guess you have to fill the rest of the holes yourself, which is a cute pun, but... <laughs> What's he talking about? Does he mean the holes in the story? Plot holes? I was confused. Um, So it's not the final line of the book, but it is in the book, and it kind of um, sets up the epilogue. Um, The epilogue in the book, I think, is a little bit more vague, so that might be what that line is referencing. Yeah, Um, Part Part of the epilogue, uh, not the whole entire thing, because we do get the scene where they're like, um, at the party and they watch the commercial for Sploosh for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but an- the other part of the epilogue kind of slides into that like kind of clinical style that I was talking about earlier, where the narrator like takes a step back and he's like, here's what happened. Um, so that, that line about like filling in the rest of the holes yourself, um, I think is like, okay, reader, you know what happened, you fill in the details. Yeah, the line mm-hmm. is... Uh- uh, so the the narrator, yeah, is describing kind of what's what's happening, and it says, but it would be boring to go through all the tedious details of all the changes in their lives. Instead, the reader will be presented with one last scene, which took place almost a year and a half after Stanley and Hector left Camp Greenlake. You will have to fill in the holes yourself. Yeah. And again, like Katie was saying, it's it, the the that last scene that we get in the book is it's way more vague on. I say way more. It's still pretty obvious, but it's a little more vague on what who's there and what what all happened um and so we're kind of left to pick up the pieces i think the main difference like with and i was looking through the books i didn't hear if you mentioned this but um with hector's mom and the reunion Mm -hmm. between uh zero and his mom is not remotely the same Mm -hmm. in the book in the movie where in the movie it's just like running tearful reunion where they hug and it's very clear and there's like a voiceover i think where stanley says and he did hire uh yeah. A uh, uh, personal, uh, whatever. Uh, private what investigator. A private investigator, investigator to find his mom. The book doesn't say that. All we get in the book is a scene where they're in the living room watching this commercial that comes on. And Hector is described as sitting in front of a lady in a chair and she's playing with his hair. Well, it does. The book does say that he hired a private investigator. Does it? Yeah. OK. Maybe it says that. But. That this, was a walnut. Oh, a walnut. This freaking walnuts. I always think somebody's breaking into our house. <laughs> <laughs> walnuts fall off a tree onto our roof, and it sounds like we're being attacked. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so like the but the last scene is kind of vague. It's like, oh, yeah. so you don't, it doesn't explicitly say, and then Hector's mom was sitting there playing with his hair. It was just like this woman who looks like him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the, 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 the prose is written in a way where the whole book, Hector has been described as having a smile too big for his face. And that's how they describe this lady who's sitting behind him and that sort of thing. And so that's kind of like the the pun with filling in the holes. It's like, I'm not going to give you every exact answer, but, you know, you did figure right. it out. Do we know, like, what happened to his mom? Why did she disappear? Or is that just one of those no, things that they don't a, really tell you? That's a hole that you'll have to fill yeah. in for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I assume she was on drugs. She's um, probably... Yeah, I, Potentially, potentially. The, the vibe I got was that potentially she uh, was a sex worker, maybe, is mm-hmm. kind of the oh, implicit. Yeah. It's never really a, like because there, there's and it's in the movie where Hector says, but he doesn't go into as much detail as he does in the book about how 
Uh, there were times when his mom would leave him places and he would have to stay like he's like sometimes she'd leave me because uh, I couldn't go everywhere with her because she had to do things where I couldn't be there or something. Right. Like oh, that. Which yeah. and I to me that implies. Yeah. Maybe a sex maybe worker. a sex worker or something yeah. like that. Um, and and he talks about being left on on stoops, on park benches, on that sort of thing at times. And she would always say, "Stay here, I'll be back in you know an hour mm-hmm. or whatever." Um, and so that was the vibe I got this time as a kid. I didn't remotely. Uh, yeah, I don't I was know just that like, I picked ah, up whatever. on that as a kid. Um, but that was definitely, I think, maybe potentially what was going on there. And I and I forgot I should add that to my notes for later. But um. Uh, sort of the humanizing of sex work yes. and that sort of thing. But um, uh, yeah, so I think that's what's going on with something like that. And then she does just leave him on the playground one day and we don't know why or how mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. happened. Uh, I think it's probably the implication that it wasn't by choice necessarily. Yeah. Because previous to that, she always comes back for yeah. him. And we we get the vibe that she loves him, that she cares about yeah. him. Yeah, and that that is uh, illustrated later when she does return and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. all right. That was it for Was That in the Book? Our next segment is Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow, was it lost? Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So Lost in Adaptation is a segment where uh, it's similar to Was That in the Book, a little more specific in the sense that if you're watching the movie that's been adapted from something, sometimes you're like a little lost. Yeah. You're like, wait a second, what? Wait a minute. What? I don't see the connection here. We've talked about some of those things already. Again, some of this kind of gets mixed up with was that in the right. book at times. It's fine. That's how it works. But uh, that's the goal of this segment is to kind of untangle any webs that uh, that maybe exist for somebody who didn't read the book and only watched the movie. So April's got a few questions for us. April, what's your first question? Uh, did the beginning of the m- book set up the characters and the world um, better in a more um, cohesive fashion is in the first five minutes of the movie the whole setup of uh, his family and then the shoe stealing incident and then him going to jail was very very rushed and I was kind of like what 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 we're already only five minutes and you know I wasn't really sure kind of what happened yeah uh, that's definitely the movie moves yeah. it along <laughs> the, yeah the movie front loads it um, and now we do obviously get some important information up front in the book, um, the information that we need to know to get the story rolling. Yeah. Um, but overall, the book takes um, info reveals at a much leisurely pace. Much more leisurely. Yes. Mm. Um, the, the moving parts that are involved in this story, in both of our opinions, work a lot better together in the book. Yeah. The, the, so in the in the movie, you really quickly get all of this information dumped on you right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, the uh, you know, like you said, where it's it's the family, it's uh, it's we get the opening shot, the cold open of the kid at, at Camp Green Lake with the, the rattlesnake and that sort of thing. And then we jump to Stanley and his family uh, and then he's he's going to this camp um, and all this stuff happens really quickly. And that kind of continues throughout the movie where the way they they drop information on you kind of goes back and forth really quickly mm-hmm. between flashbacks and, and current time and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the book, it takes its time a lot more with that. They're kind of spaced out into chapters. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple chapters where it is interspersed within the chapter between uh, Stanley's timeline and the past, but mostly like it's like we'll get a chapter of the flashback and then that'll wrap up and then we'll get a chapter of Stanley currently. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as like Stanley's storyline and like how he ended up at Camp Green Lake and what the deal with his family is, um, the book makes way more use of like 
Stanley's memory yeah. and like his internal thoughts. Yeah. So we're able to get information about his family and his situation in a way that is more like meted out. Yeah. Rather mm-hmm. than getting it like boom Dumped all at, at the, the beginning. beginning. And I think the movie would have been more successful in that regard if they had done that. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think they felt they needed to justify immediately like who Stanley was, why he was at this place. Whereas the book is like we're introduced to Stanley going to that place. If yeah. I remember correctly, I think so. Um, we're, I think we're, our first introduction to Stanley is him on the bus, which I guess is the same in the movie. Yeah, it was like remember. that, but then it, it jumps yeah. backwards in yeah. time immediately. Um, and I, yeah, and I think I think it just feels better when you're reading it from Stanley, because Stanley will give us in the book, he'll give us a little tidbit of his memory where he'll say like, and I wouldn't be headed to this camp if it wasn't for those shoes. And then we'll just move on and we won't talk about what those shoes were, but you'll just remember something about shoes. And then a couple chapters later, he'll go a little more into the story of his memory of what happened. And so it kind of gets piecemealed out over the course of the book in a way that feels um, you feel less ambushed by so much information. (laughs) It's not dissimilar to um, a mystery yeah. story. It is, yeah. yeah. Where we get little tidbits of information and then we're we're putting it all together yeah. as we read. Yeah, the story really, the whole book really is the ultimate sort of mystery mm-hmm. unraveling over the course of the book. And I don't, it translates a little in the movie, but I don't think quite as well, which again, we'll talk about yeah. in our final verdict. Yeah. That's kind of our big thing that is the difference between the two. Why was Stanley's dad, a.k.a. Henry Winkler, so Henry obsessed Winkler. with curing foot odor? A.K.A. the Fonz. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, A.K.A. Uh, Jean-Ralphio and whatever her name, uh, Mona Lisa's dad. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if you watch Parks and Rec, but. I do. Um, uh, yeah. So in the book, he's not obsessed with curing foot odor. That's actually not his obsession. His obsession is recycling tennis shoes. Yeah. He wants to come up with a way like a super. Like a super great way to recycle old, old tennis shoes. shoes. Um, and ultimately somehow that ends up leading to him figuring out how to cure foot odor. I will say that I think the movie's change of him just being obsessed with foot odor the whole time maybe makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly in the book and the movie doesn't explain this is that he's not always just obsessed with that, like with curing foot odor or whatever. His dad is a, like an inventor. Mm -hmm. And so he... He comes up with an invention, he works on it for six months, a year, and then he fails at it, and then he moves on to something else. Mm -hmm. And so he's had dozens of these ideas that he comes up with. Classic creative type. Yeah, he's he's my dad. (laughs) Sorry, dad. Uh, But my dad's successful, I guess. He's uh, me with writing projects. Yeah, there you go. Um, And uh, so he comes up with an idea, he fails at it because of the curse or whatever reason, um, and then moves on to something else. Uh, whereas in the movie, he's just for, uh, seemingly always been obsessed with curing foot odor. And that's no. and that's just like his thing. That's just his thing. He doesn't have a foot odor fetish in the. <laughs> in yeah. The book, so. Maybe they just thought it was a funnier idea, you know, no. I um, think so. Yeah, because yeah. uh, then they could just have his whole house filled with shoes and all mm-hmm. that nonsense. So. Yeah. Uh, next question. How does everyone know about Kate Barlow? That's kissing Kate Barlow, I guess her name is. The cowgirl. Is she a local legend? Because Stanley and Zero both seem to know who she is because they find, I guess it's, I don't know if it's when they find it, but they were talking about the lipstick and they were like, oh, KB Mm -hmm. must stand for this girl. And also, if they're Mm -hmm. from the city, how do they know this person is seemingly in this (laughs) remote country area? 
So this is a little a little bit different in the book. I don't think Zero knows who she is. I don't think in, so. Initially. It doesn't seem like it in the book from my memory. Um, or at least it's not mentioned. No. Uh, Stanley obviously knows her because of the family story where she robbed his great grandfather. Yes, which kind oh, of right. gets to some of your future questions here, which we'll get right. to in a second. But, um, yeah. Now, I also got the vibe, and I got this more so from the movie than from the book, that maybe she's supposed to be similar to like a Jesse James yes. or like a Billy the Kid type figure, like, like a, an outlaw who's like famous now like legend. passed into legend and become this like larger than life figure. Yeah. It's not described that way as much in the book, um, but it, but yeah, it's definitely it is. There some people know about her in mm-hmm. the book, and it's similar in the movie. And then the thing in the movie that sets off the reason that Stanley, even though he already knows who she is because of the story, the thing that triggers his memory of her when he and when that triggers the conversation with Zero about it is when he goes into uh, the warden's house. And I again, I would not have noticed this if I wasn't looking out for it. Um, he goes into her house, and when he goes to get her fingernail polish, she has all of these Kiss and Kate Barlow uh, like newspaper clippings on her mm-hmm, wall, right? Because she's obsessed with her at, and finding the treasure. And he sees her name a bunch of times, and then it's that scene after that that he like has the epiphany, like, "Oh, the KB is probably Kate Barlow yeah. or whatever." So I, I think that's what the movie was going for, at least in what triggers his memory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's also just more of like a. A legendary yeah. figure amongst the people, so or whatever. <laughs> a tall tale, yeah, if you will. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, I didn't get the whole treasure chest thing at the end. Was it Kate's treasure? Why did it say Stanley Yelnats printed on it? Um, now, after I wrote this down, I had a little think about it. Here's what I think <laughs> happened. Okay, was it just Stanley's box, and she stole his box and put? Her, like the original Stanley and put oh, her treasure put her yeah. treasure in it. Is that what happened? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Stan, yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> uh, the box belonged to Stanley's great grandfather, yeah, who was the one that she robbed the, the stagecoach. Stage yeah. yeah. See, that happened so fast at the beginning. I didn't know yes. what was happening yeah. or who anyone was, and it was right. I was too many characters at first, yes. so I just didn't. Yeah. I missed that whole thing. Yeah. And now the movie does what the one thing I thought was interesting the movie does is they actually show you his name on the crate at mm-hmm. the beginning. But again, if you're you're what you're in that scene, I'm way more interested and worried about. I barely even know you barely even know what Stanley Yelnats's name is at that point. So mm-hmm. seeing that name doesn't yeah. mean a whole lot. And you're more interested in who this badass chick is who's robbing the stagecoach. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, you don't really. I, I also think the movie kind of glosses over because um, it is important that. He that our Stanley, the main character, is Stanley Yelnats the fourth, and it does say that in the movie. Yeah. He says the fourth at one point. Right, they but. say it, but I, I think they kind of gloss over it because it's kind of important that he has the same name as his great grandfather. Because then, when they yeah. find the chest, they can be like, "Well, actually, it has it has Stanley's name on it." Yeah. But it's one of those things that movies have a hard time doing where in the book it's reiterated four or five times over the course of the first hundred pages mm-hmm. that every Stanley has been Stanley Yelnats and that he's Stanley Yelnats the fourth and that uh, he talks about his great great fan grandfather who was also like it's mentioned numerous numerous times. So by the time you get to the end of the book, you're it's super cemented in your brain. Every Stanley or, you know, his great great grandfather has also Stanley Stanley Yelnats. And, yeah. you know, that's all kind of locked in, whereas the movie has to mention it once because they got a million other things to do in the first act. And then you kind of get lost in the mix. Yeah. But. Do you only meet two generations, three generations of Yelnats 
And by that, I mean, like, there's two <laughs> Yelnats flashbacks, right? There's the pig stealer and the guy whose yes. stagecoach mm-hmm. got robbed. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's stagecoach guy. I didn't even know who he was because he was right. barely in the movie at all. And right. I, it, yeah. <laughs> That's also confusing because so the, the guy with the pig is Elia. His name's not Stanley. Yeah. His name's Elia Yelnats. And oh. we don't find out. You don't even find out he's a Yelnats until like the end of the movie. Um, but he is also, and so he is like the great, great, great grandfather. He's five times great. Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> and then he ha- he comes to America and marries a woman yes. who realizes that his last name, Yelnats, is Stanley backwards. Yes. So, so she names, names their son Stanley, yeah. and then it becomes a family tradition. Where they all name him yeah, Stanley. Yeah, and then we get our Stanley Yelnats. And I, I, it's even hard to explain because it's just a million Yelnats and Stanleys and blah, yeah. blah, blah, <laughs> generations, and it all gets very confusing very quickly. But yeah, in the book, it is the same thing where we, we see Elia Yelnats, who's the pig, uh, the pig-carrying guy mm-hmm. uh, who is wooing people in Latvia, and we see the guy who gets robbed in the stage. Those are the two Yelnats flashbacks we get in the book. Yeah. Which is the same thing in the movie, but it's it's a little confusing at who's who. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, okay. Well, this kind of goes into the next question, which is what is the connection with the Yelnats family and Kate Barlow, other than maybe that she, she robbed him at one point? Yeah. Because it seems like there's two separate curses going on. Um, because after Sam is killed, um, they say oh, the lake dried up. So it was like, oh, mm-hmm. like they... They did yeah. they did wrong and by the nature is like, you know, Lion King style, like going back <laughs> yeah. on them and saying, OK, this land yeah. is drying up. And then the old hole hauling the whole the old lady up the mountain, who was Eartha Kitt, by the way. It was Cat, yes. Catwoman Eartha herself. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. That's yes. like a whole other thing. And then the curses seem to like solve at the same time, kind of. And also, what was the deal with it raining at the end? Like what triggered that? All OK. Right. Katie, you wrote a bunch of notes. Yeah, I'm going to try to suss this out. So I think the robbery is the only, like, real connection between the Yelnats family and Kate Barlow. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. Yeah. Uh, So there are two curses in a sense, um, but the book doesn't ever refer to the lake drying up as a curse specifically, Mm -hmm. um, the way that it does with the Yelnats family curse. Um, So when when Kate and Sam kiss in the book... Uh, the town busybody, who it's a different character it's than it is in Trout the movie. Walker, yeah, it's yeah. not Trout Walker in the book. Um, a, but the town busybody sees them and like points at them from the distance and says, God will punish you. Yeah. Then they kill Sam and we get that whole horrific scene. Um, and then the narrator gives us these lines. I'm going to read a quote from the book. That all happened 110 years ago. Since then... Not one drop of rain has fallen on Green Lake. You make the decision. Whom did God punish? Mm. So there's this implication that the curse is the townspeople being punished for their racism and for their violence. Um, And the book does say that it started to rain as Stanley and Zero left Camp Green Lake. But the book is like way more concerned with fleshing out the Yelnats family curse. So there's not a clear reason why those same events would resolve the Green Lake situation. Yeah, that's how I explained. Um, 
I like the explanation that maybe uh, the treasure being found by the right people, i.e. not the ancestor of Trout Walker, the warden, um, maybe that appeases the vengeful ghost of Kate Barlow. Yeah. Mm. So in case it wasn't clear, uh, the warden is the great, great granddaughter or whatever of trout walker who's the guy who killed sam and the guy who was trying to find the 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 treasure uh and was gonna kill kate barlow but then she got bit by the lizard and died Mm -hmm. um so that his name's trout walker and he's like the town was the town's rich asshole who was in the flashbacks like uh trying to get her to kiss him and go out with him and she's like i don't want to go out with you and all that sort of stuff and he was like entitled dickhead um and uh so yeah so then Warden's been looking for it for all these years. She doesn't find it, but Zeroni and Stanley do. And by them finding it, uh, the, this now Kate Barlow's ghost is like, cool, we're good here. Let the rain Let fall. Let the rain fall. <laughs> yeah. So it could have been a Maybe. coincidence, but, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's all yeah. happening at the same time. Another question. Yeah. Well, why didn't Kate kill Mr. Trout then? If that's who could. The guy she shoots in the face. Um, is the sheriff? Yeah, the sheriff, I mean, he yeah. wasn't a good guy either. But did she, like, why didn't she kill? Why didn't she yeah. avenge him? I I don't, I don't know, know. If, if she couldn't find him because that's never actually addressed in the book that yeah. she doesn't actually. She goes on a big spree where she after Sam dies, she just becomes an outlaw and starts robbing trains and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I guess the implication because again, it's not really ever addressed is that she just never either goes after him or can't find him maybe is the maybe. thing like maybe mm. he disappears somewhere or something no because he stays there he stays in green lake but they I lose mean, all their money maybe the sheriff was just an easier mark yeah i don't know to get we'll see the sheriff shooting isn't in the book though yeah it is oh is it yeah oh i missed it okay i just don't remember um but yeah so i think uh, yeah she went after the sheriff because he explicitly was this 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 authority that could have saved things yeah. yeah, he he could have put a stop to the whole thing, and, but he didn't. And didn't, uh, and exacerbated things. Um, and so, yeah, so she goes after him, and then, yeah, I, they, that's a slight plot hole, potentially, that for whatever reason she doesn't go after yeah. Trout Walker. I'm not, because you would think, obviously, she would. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't she? Um, and it's really just kind of not addressed in the book, so. Does, <laughs> does she shoot him before she kills herself? I can't even remember. No. In the movie, sh- no. He show- or the book, no. No, Okay. And she does that on purpose, though. But that is her final revenge is that uh, he uh, he he's like, there's treasure out here. And she's like, yeah, you'll never find it. Oh, mm. that's almost a third curse. Yes. Because she says, like, <laughs> yeah. you and your family, you and your, and your family children and your children's children can look for 100 years. You'll never find it. Yeah. That's curse language. It is. And, and she says you'll dig holes for 100 years looking for it or whatever. Yeah. So like that, that is her revenge and as opposed to killing him. She just lets him spend the rest of his life digging holes, looking for this gold that he think is out. He thinks is out there, yeah. which to her is a, a worse fate than just her shooting him right there or whatever. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. That's kind of the implication. Yep. Cool. That was it for Lost in Adaptation. Now we're going to get into uh, where we compare and contrast the book and the movie a little bit more in depth and do better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right, so first segment is better in the book. This is where with uh, me and Katie are going to talk about things that we thought were better in the book. It's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious, pretty easy. Katie, go first. What's up? 
This first note is your note. It's my note. I, I don't remember. We changed. They're all in random order. Uh, there's only two trees in the book at the lake. Uh-huh. In the movie, there's like around the compound that they're in. There's like a whole like forest, like a little forest there. Yeah, there are several trees. Yeah. In the book, it is explicitly there are two trees and the only two trees that are there, the warden has tied a hammock between them that she sits in. Those are her trees. And those are her <laughs> trees. And I like that. It, feels, it makes it feel way more desolate even than it does in the movie, mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, and way more hopeless um, if there's literally only two trees and the warden is like, nah, I, I get to lounge on these trees. So it's just a little thing, but. Go ahead, Katie. Uh, I have a note on the yellow spotted lizards. Mm. Um, And this was an initial note that I made right off the bat when we see the first lizard. uh, Because I thought it was silly looking. Like the one that like goes Jurassic Park and like rears (laughs) up on its back legs and (laughs) runs at Shia LaBeouf. I was like, man, this is silly. We're supposed to be scared of these things. Yeah. So I thought that was better in the book. Yeah, because in the book, obviously, it's your imagination as opposed to a, a little CG. Yeah, a little CG lizard. Lizard running around. The non-CG ones looked good. Um, but yeah. whenever yeah, they yeah, had yeah. to do anything, it turned into, like, um, do you guys know Reboot? <laughs> the show Re- yes. Reboot? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it looked yes, like that. Are reboot lizards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, they're, they're not. I mean, it's 2003. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You would think I, I even still felt like. Maybe not. <laughs> don't look as good as they could, even for 2003. I feel I like I just think I think if they hadn't tried to make it do things, yeah, yeah, it would have been fine. I guess that's the thing. There was no reason for it to like. Well, I mean, although in the book it is described that they will like leap at you, like that's what they yeah. say. But I honestly, in the book, I always took that as not true. My always like and I even this time and even as a kid, I always took because they're described in the book as having very strong legs and they will like jump Uh on you and bite you. I always took that as like the myth about them because they Mm -hmm. are deadly or whatever. Yeah. That people like added this like they'll jump 20 feet on your neck and bite you when that's what actually it's just like if you step on one or near one, you know, like similar to like a. People, you know, the, the the stuff people come up with about spiders and snakes and things that scare them. Like, oh, it'll leap across the room at you. It's like, well, not actually. And so, but the movie's like, no, actually, they will like run and jump and, and it'll look terrible. Well, I think it would be better if, like you said, if it was just, just use the real, because they're like bearded dragons mm-hmm. that they like painted or whatever. And they look great when they're just painted bearded dragons. Just use those and just yeah. have them be kind of like hanging out and making and hissing noises. Looking, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's not great. Don't have them rear up on their back legs and run at you. <laughs> Just to be clear, Colin didn't work on this, did he? Oh, uh, I have to ask him. Of- no, he's he, <laughs> oh, he's no. never heard of this movie. Or he, okay, he's oh, never wow. heard of this I think movie. maybe right. he's heard of it, but he didn't know anything okay. about it. So, yeah. So in case our, any of our listeners don't know, Colin uh, is uh, works still. I don't know if he still does. I guess he does. I don't know. He still does, does he visual still effects. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's a visual effects artist and he's worked on a handful of movies. And mm-hmm. I know one of the things. Did he work on the, the Wolverine? One of the Wolverine movies? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the not great Wolverine X-Men movies. Origins Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the boys at the camp. And their kind of uh, demeanor in the movie, because I felt like they were meaner and like nastier in the movie than they were in the book uh, a, a little bit. I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, I, uh, just like like a little. I think the movie goes harder on them 
than the book does. Um, Because in the book, I think we get a better feel for, like, how the group dynamic works. And, like, they're they're rough around the edges and they're tough with each other. Um, But I feel like in the book, the ultimate takeaway is that they've been dealt a really raw hand. Yeah. But they aren't actually bad people. Like, they're not the warden or Mr. Sir or Mr. Pendansky. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the book or the movie does a slight disservice to him in that we don't get. And I think, like I said earlier, I think the movie tried to go back and try to fix that a little with like some added levity scenes of them Mm -hmm. like getting along. Um, Because in the book, it's it's a it felt very uh, true to life to me of like these kids are they've done bad things and but they're not bad kids. But they're also in a situation to where they wouldn't be super nice all the time because they're in this terrible situation with terrible, cruel people, you know, running their lives. They're going to be kind of shitty sometimes to each other. Yeah. Uh, and that come, I think they just, like you said, I think the movie just goes a little too hard on that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the same scenes do happen in the, I think what it is, is that in the, in the, in the book, in the movie, a lot of the same scenes, uh, where they're mean also happen in the book, but we don't get all of the downtime in the book where they're like hanging out and chit chatting and like, being yeah. cool with each other though because that's not important to the plot quote unquote you yeah. know what i mean like in the movie so they kind of cut that out um so they kind of tried to do it with like look they're dancing they like each other Ugh, moving on like whatever <laughs> um but yeah i i, I do agree that it, it does kind of undercut the ultimate message that we're getting to that these kids aren't just like they're bad. not villains they're not bad yeah, yeah. They're, they're just you know they made a mistake or whatever um so yeah i i agree uh in the book, Warden, the warden, and this scene's not in the movie at all. When they're looking, when they find the 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 lipstick in the hole, they start digging, and uh, she gets mad that they're not finding anything because they're digging in the wrong hole, but she doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. She stabs armpit in the chest with a pitchfork. Yeah, which is crazy. That's in- in- <laughs> <Yeah>. intense. <laughs> yes, she's like really upset because they're not finding anything, and armpit says something, and she like. She, I say stab. She like pokes him with it, but it pierces his shirt and he starts bleeding and then falls backwards into a hole. Oh and it's like our first moment with the warden where we're like, oh, yeah. Oh, and I like it because it happens before the I think it happens before the the clawing scene. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, th- I like it because it's that first moment of like, oh, oh, no. Like it, it, it like yeah. uh, she because she seems kind of cool, maybe potentially. Before that moment, we don't know, and then it's like, oh no, she's she's real bad. Yeah, <laughs> she's real bad. <laughs> um, and and the fact that she does it to a kid instead of just Mister Sir, who's we also hate, mm-hmm. like it's a kid who we kind of like. Uh, it makes it very clear that like, ugh, she's yeah, she's not we, good. this that's our our first like really big indication that this is definitely not someone to be trusted. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that the movie gets Trout Walker quite right. No. He's definitely an asshole. Definitely a racist asshole. Um, But in the book, he's really dumb and really nasty. And I don't think that came through in the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. I think he's 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 just kind of like obnoxious in the movie, whereas Mm -hmm. in the in the book, he feels way more entitled um, but also gross. Like, yeah. he just, he's just... Right, ugh. like, the the movie took him to this, like, pretty boy douchebag trope. Yeah. Which isn't terrible. Like, that can work. I just don't know if it 
works as well as what the book does. I also don't think that the I think the thing the movie lacks the most with his character is that he's not memorable. Yes. As made clear earlier when yeah. April was like not sure who is who and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because he's just not memorable. You're confusing him with the sheriff. You're confusing him with other people in the tent. Like he's just he's not interesting enough uh, and distinct enough, uh, which he should be because he's like the main bad guy yeah. in the flashback scenes. Yeah. Like he should be this big bad character. Um, I so I like a lot about what they do with Kate and Sam's love story in the movie. Uh, I think overall it captures a lot of the big moments of it, but their actual big kiss uh, in the movie, it happens in the schoolhouse, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But in the book, it's like a very dramatic moment where she runs out on the street and it's pouring down rain and they kiss in the rain on the street. And it's very, very dramatic. It's very heady. Yes. Um, And I just, I, I like it a lot. And so, you know, I, I wish they had been able to do that in the in the movie because it just didn't feel quite as I was expecting this big like it's a big romance movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's a crescendo moment. Yeah. moment that then gets undercut by somebody seeing them. Yeah. And the book, it just doesn't quite have the same like build up and like, oh, yeah, in the cheering. movie, you mean. Sorry, the movie doesn't quite have. Yeah, yeah. I do that all the time. So I know it's so hard. <laughs> <sighs> it's OK. We forgive you. Thank you. Uh, you do. April doesn't have to forget. You do <laughs> I'll, think, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I've always thought it was dumb that they, like, when they're climbing the mountain, um, that, that Madame Zeroni's flashback plays over them climbing the mountain to, like, remind us as viewers. I hate like, that. Remember, this is a thing. Like, the family was cursed because they didn't carry a Zeroni, and now he's carrying a Zeroni. Do you get it? And now... I think it's probably necessary because of all we've talked about in terms of like how ev- like how many different plot lines are going on in this movie that it might be hard to follow otherwise. But is that what you're feeling? I, <laughs> I, you're like, I yeah. was like, oh, when that happened. Yeah. So like it, yeah. it did. It did help me. Um, but I mean, after like what we were saying, like, I feel like if I just like this is the first time I watched it, maybe if I watched yeah. it again, I would pick up more on the, yes. the, the yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. For first time viewer, it was a, it was a bit much. Yeah, I think I think for sure that if you're watching this a second time, that it, it you would catch everything you needed to catch because it is there's so much information. But in the book, it, there's obviously no voice over there, mm-hmm. um, and it's not even like there, there's nothing even saying in the the narrator or nothing. Nobody is going like, "Hey, remember, remember <laughs> this thing from earlier." It's just kind of after the fact we get this reminder. Yeah. This little like moment that reminds us and then it hits you then after the fact that after this happens, you're like, oh, you have that moment of, oh, yeah. oh, man. Oh, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, it's just slightly better in the book. It's hard to describe without actually like. Right. The- yeah, it, it is really hard to describe. But there is that moment close to the end of the book where everything clunks into place and as a reader it is a truly satisfying satisfying. moment like i would put holes up with like harry potter in that it's something that i wish i could read for the first time again the first time you read it like i fervently wish i could read this book for the first time again and the first time all of those storylines click into place is it's it'll it's fantastic it's just so well done um in a way that the movie doesn't quite capture yeah uh, I really like in the book, and this doesn't happen in the movie, that Stanley has to dig for water on the mountain. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a duh, because like he's been digging holes this whole time. He finally gets good at digging holes. And so when he gets to the mountaintop, Gotta he, dig a hole, son. He, he finds some mud, but there's no water. 
or just mud. And so he's like, but if there's mud, there's probably water. And he starts digging and he gets down far enough and then he can get some water out of it. And I, I like the symbolism there. I like mm-hmm. that, you know, that he spent all this time digging holes. And then in order to save Zero and to do this, he has to dig a hole. I really like that. The movie's just like, there's a stream. There's a beautiful stream. Congratulations. Which, it's fine. It's nice. It's, it's, nice, it's nice. But I just, I like the book's version better. Also, Zero doesn't just magically become better in the book. Like, in the movie, he just gets there and he, like, stands up and is like, cool, I'm fine now. I'm great. I ate an onion. I'm good. <laughs> he takes like a week and a half. Yeah, they're whatever. up. They're up there for a while. Like days yeah. of him like slowly recuperating. Um, which again, I get it. It's a movie. You gotta move things along. It, you know, it just feels a little like ma- and which there is magic in this movie. So sure, I yeah. guess. But it just feels more. It feels more grounded in the book. Um. So zero in the book recognizes the song. Yeah. Um. When Stanley starts singing, singing and he does song. sing it while they're on the mountain. Yeah. Um. At the uh the onion oasis. Um. But in in the book, zero is like he, like Stanley starts singing it, and zero's like, hey, my mom used to sing that to me. Um. And he says like the words were different because it's two separate translations from the yeah the Latvian the Latvian to the yeah English. Um. But he, like he knows it. Which yeah. is another then clue of like who Zero is and how um, him and Stanley are connected. Yeah, doesn't he say that in the movie though that he recognizes it? I don't. I thought he I, did. Mm, I could be wrong though. Don't recall it. Yeah, I thought he did, but I could be wrong. Then I remember. Uh, I don't like in the movie. We mentioned the lawyer earlier uh, uh, in the guess who. I don't like her in the movie. She's like she comes in in the movie and she's like this like whiny like she comes in and she's like it's hard to describe her, her character in the book. She's very cool and collected and Mm -hmm. like on top of her game. She seems like a very competent lawyer who comes in and is like, just like shooting these assholes down. And like, he's like, no, you're giving me Stanley. No, you're doing this. You're doing that. I know what I'm talking about. Whereas in the movie we see when she's introduced, she's like yelling at them and like, and like, no, like, and there's like 80 yard lines of her, like, (laughs) It's it's very strange and it feels very counter to what that the point of that character is, who's just to be this like, again, get ultimately we get to this message that all of our good guys in this movie are 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 people of color. They're immigrants. Mm-hmm. They're they're uh, uh, financial or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, financially uh, um, disadvantaged. But yeah, financially disadvantaged people. Or the people of color, or they're immigrants, and are all these things, and these, and they're the ones who like win. They yeah. they win in this book, uh, and and so I like her coming in in the book and just being like, and just smacking down these mm-hmm. like idiots who like run this camp, and just being like, yeah. no. And she is also um, no offense to Stanley's parents, but she's our first like competent adult. Yeah, true. Yeah, that is true. Because yeah, every other adult in this book is an idiot. <laughs> like is a complete idiot other than kind of Stanley's parents, which are also kind of idiots. His mom is not that bad. No, but what about the yeah. grandpa? Oh, wait, he's not in the he's book. Not is in he? the book. He's not in the yes. book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not in the book. He just shows up in the movie. Um, he's uh, he's mentioned in the book, but he's not his character is not in the book. But I, I really prefer her in the in the book where mm-hmm. she's just like competent lawyer doing stuff. Um, I don't know that it would work in the movie because it so rarely works in yeah. movies, but I, I do miss the narrator from the book. Yeah. Um, you can do it. Uh, you I can. I think they could have done it. But I think it, it goes so wrong so easily. 
voiceover narration. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I, I think I think what they should have done is not had his grandfather in the movie or had him in like one scene. Mm-hmm. The guy who played his grandfather, which I can't remember that actor's name. Um, and uh, and had his that guy do the voiceover. Be have the grandfather telling the story yeah. to us. Yeah. In some way, because that makes sense. Uh, and then and then have him um, not be like a character that shows up yeah. in scenes, except for like maybe at the end or something like that. Because I, I do think that the narrator is one of the things that makes all of the various moving parts yeah. work well. And they try the to book. do it with Stanley. Like he has mm-hmm. some voiceover at time to like kind of explain things. Uh, but I, I don't think it works great. I think they should have made it a different character. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I like at the end that Pendansky uh, just suggests shooting the kids. It's not the warden in the movie. The mm-hmm. warden's like, we should shoot him. And but I like in the book that it's Pendansky mainly because yeah. Pendansky this whole time has been not this whole time. We'll talk about his character. Pendansky is a really interesting character to me because when we first meet him, he's this uh, he's like seemingly a good guy. Mm-hmm. He seems to care about the kids. But over the course of the book, it becomes revealed and, and the movie becomes revealed more and more that he's actually just an asshole. He's just not a good guy. He's not a yeah. good guy at all. Uh, and I really like that. Um, and I like that by the end of the book, he's just like, we should shoot these kids so yeah. we can get this money or whatever. Uh, whereas in the movie, it, the warden suggested and he's like, wait, should we or whatever? I, I, he's an asshole. He should be the yeah. one who suggests they should. Yeah. The in the movie, he's more of just like an oaf. Just kind yeah. of like yeah. s- silly. Just kind of generally useless. Yeah. yeah. And like And that is how he Yeah, that's how he starts in the book as like uh, a seemingly well natured oaf. <laughs> and then he becomes very clearly more and more evil over the course of yeah. the book, uh, which is really interesting to me. But more and more of a bully. Yeah, and I think it reveal I think it's a good message too of like for for young people, you know, like there you might run into people in your lives who are seemingly who, right, who seem like who they seem have nice, your best interests seem have at your heart. best interests in heart, but actually are abusers or actually yeah. terrible people. I think that's a, a really and the movie captures it a little bit, but I don't think quite as well. Uh, I love in the book <laughs> that Green Lake. So the whole time, Mr. Sir, and we're almost done with this segment. Mr. Sir has been mentioning that uh, this isn't a Girl Scout camp. You're not a Girl Scout camp. And he says this in the movie a couple times, too. He's like, you're not. This isn't the Girl Scouts. You're not in the Girl Scouts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's mentioned in the epilogue that uh, they have to sell Green Lake after it gets shut down or whatever. Uh, the warden has to sell it, even though it was in her family. But she's out of money and it gets bought by the Girl Scouts and turned into a Girl Scout, camp. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is a nice little, you know, uh, a fun little joke. Yeah, it's it's nice mentioned touch. in the movie where they say it got turned into a girl's camp. I don't know why they didn't say a Girl Scout camp. Maybe because- they didn't have the rights or something. Yeah, maybe there was but a weird... Mr. Sir says Girl Scouts okay, numerous but times. I could see there being a difference in just mentioning the Girl Scouts okay. and then like specifically saying this maybe. place became a camp for the Girl Scouts. Maybe, I don't know. It seemed weird to me, but yeah, that's possible. <laughs> I, 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 don't I don't even don't remember that... him saying this ain't no Girl Scout <laughs> camp. So I'm, I'm yeah. much well, he that. only says it like... I think he says it like twice in the movie. He says yeah. it like... Every chapter in the book, yeah, <laughs> like, basically, so. like every time he has a scene in the book, yeah, he says like, something about it. <laughs> Not the Girl Scouts, blah blah blah. Uh, and then the last one I had, and this is just a line from the book that I really like that's not in the movie. just think it's a very cl- uh, well-written line, kind of a fun line. Uh, they're talking about how much money Stanley and Zero received um, from the treasure, from the treasure, uh, and it takes them a long time to figure it out, which I also like more in the book. 
uh, in the movie, they're just like, oh, these are worth millions of dollars, and they yeah. start doling them out. Well, like, how how would Stanley know that? Yeah, Stanley how would he know? know that. He yeah. wouldn't. He just knows no conversion idea. rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? Okay. In the book, there's explicitly mentioned that it took lawyers and stuff like months to figure out how much all of this was yeah. worth or whatever. Realistic. Yeah, it's realistic. Um, but I love the So the line in the book, though, is uh, after taxes and fees, Stanley and Zero each received less than a million dollars. And it's sort of set up because they think they've had this big windfall. And then it's like, oh, but the gems and the jewels aren't actually worth that much money. Mm-hmm. And then the line is after taxes and fees, Stanley and Zero received each less than a million dollars. But not a lot less, <laughs> which I think is like a fun <laughs> kind of, again, the subversion of you're like, oh, yes, nice. they're still rich as shit. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a little line. It's just not in the movie. Cool. That's it for better in the book. Better in the movie. Let's go. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So better in the movie. Uh, again, pretty self-explanatory. These are things that were better in the movie. Katie. Um, I thought that starting with Barf Bag baiting the rattlesnake was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of neutral on the choice to, like, open with it. Yeah. Um, but I did like that we get got to see it happen because they do just talk about it. I like opening with it explicitly because, one, the movie or the book opens with the descri- the first chapter of the book isn't anything to do with Stanley or anything. It's a description mm-hmm. of the camp. Yeah. And so we're kind of already opening at the camp and even in the book. And so I think taking a moment that we don't see. So in the book, we don't we we find out that Barfag got bit by a rattlesnake and we eventually later find out that he did it on purpose. But Mm -hmm. we don't um, uh, we don't ever really see the scene or anything in the book. I actually really like that in the movie starting Mm -hmm. that way. It kind of immediately sets the stakes for uh for this camp and how like miserable it is there and like, oh, what's going on? Oh, this kid's intentionally letting himself get bit by a rattlesnake what's happened like it, it raises a bunch of questions and i think it's an interesting op- cold open to your film i think it works pretty well mm-hmm. so i agree that I, I do actually like starting it that way the crazy inside of the yelnats apartment i think is yep, a good totally uh, so in the movie or in the book we don't really get much of a description of what the inside of their apartment looks like but in the movie we get to see all this craziness yeah um and it's almost like Susian with like the weird hmm. like yes, machines going and, and yeah. contraptions and things and it's more henry winkler which yeah never complain about more henry winkler <laughs> uh, i really enjoyed seeing kissing kate uh rob grand uh stanley's great-grandfather Again, it's just kind of vaguely mentioned in the book that she does rob him, mm-hmm. but we actually get to see the scene happen in yes. the movie, which is cool. Uh, plus, we get the little quick shot of the chest with his name on it. Again, there's a lot of details, so it's hard to catch. But for somebody who's a book reader, I was like, eh, <laughs> noticed it. And then, like, yeah. you know, it's one of those things because it's not really mentioned in the book. And to their credit, they tried to tease that ahead of time. They tried. They tried. They tried. It's just there's so much going on that it's, yeah. it's tough. And it's so quick. Yeah. Um, this was a little thing that That's I loved. Thing, no, it's really great. Um, when Stanley initially almost gets into a fight in the rec room yeah. at the camp, um, we they break up the fight, and then we see Zero set down a pool ball that yeah, he, he had, had picked, up, he picked yeah. up and grabbed a pool ball and was like ready to throw it. No, not or ready to throw. Punch it. someone. Punch somebody. Punch somebody. Hit somebody okay. with it. Yeah. I don't get in fights. I don't. I, I don't get, oh, you're right. Sorry. All the fights I've been in, I've hit a lot of people with pool balls in my life. Well, he was gonna do something with it. Yeah, he was gonna hit somebody with it. Yeah. All right, hit somebody. Whatever. Um, but I love it because it's this this quick little moment that both one 
shows us his rough and humble upbringing. Yeah, that he thinks yeah. about that doing he, this. He immediately like, thinks of. Um, grab a weapon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in two, it shows us that he's already loyal to Stanley. Already ride or die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which I, I, I agree. And that's not in the book at all. Uh, the fight is like Stanley does yeah. get into that kerfuffle, but we don't get the setup of, of Zero like wanting to help him and, and having this. Yeah, background. it's a nice little character moment yeah, for Zero. For sure. Yeah, uh, I love in the movie. I love this. The scene, uh, the sequence where uh, Patricia Arquette as Kate Barlow turns into kissing Kate mm-hmm. and the like montage of her riding around uh, shooting people and robbing people. And it's great. Yeah, Uh, it's amazing. Uh, It's not really in the book. We just get like a couple lines of like and then she went and robbed a bunch of people and like became an outlaw or whatever. Like it's just like she became an outlaw then. It's like, okay, I mean, like the Um, montage section, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's like newspapers and flying. Yeah. Them spinning the fun spinning newspapers. (laughs) I don't love the music choices in this movie all the time. Uh, In particular, a couple explicitly, um, which I'll talk about. But. I, I do like I did like the montage. I like the spinning newspaper. I like just seeing her ride around like the old West, like the sped up footage, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff I thought was fun. Um, and again, we don't really get much of that in the book, uh, but I thought it was cool. And I want my Kiss and Kate spinoff movie. That's, <laughs> if you're going to make a spinoff of this movie, it just needs to be her story. Yeah. After she after Sam dies and she becomes an outlaw. I want to watch that. <laughs> I would watch that movie. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I love this moment in the movie and it's not in the book. Not exactly. This is in the book. So when in the book, in the movie and the book at one point zero hits uh, mom, Mr. Pendansky in the face with a shovel and runs away. Uh, and Mr. Pendansky has been an asshole to zero the whole time. And he's making fun of him for not being able to read or write in this moment. And uh, he asks him what. Uh, it, so in the book, what happens is Mr. Pendansky asks uh, zero to spell cat or no he says what does c-a-t spell and zero says chat because Which he makes perfect makes sense. sense because he thinks the c sounds makes the ch sound because it does sometimes um and and then when they all make fun of him then he hits mr pinansky and runs away in the movie the change they make and it's a very movie change yeah. but i very much like it uh, is that uh, mr pinansky asks him he does ask him to spell cat but then he asks him, what is D.I.G. spell? And I love Zero just looks at him and then hits him with a shovel and says dig and runs away. It's a it's a movie <laughs> moment, but it's such a great movie moment that I, 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 I love it. Yeah. And it, uh, it's so good. It just gets his mo- he gets to show him. Yeah, I do know how to spell. Fuck. Yeah. You. <laughs> like, like, yeah. And then he. Yeah, it, it's it's great. Um, They added a line. That I thought was a good ad. Yeah. Um, the line, nobody cares about Hector Zeroni after he runs away. Yeah, that's, um, in the that's, book. that's in the book. But what they added for the movie is then Stanley coming up and saying, I do. Yeah. It's just a little, again, it's a very movie line. Mm-hmm. Both of these feel very like, yeah. Yeah. We need this little like, this is little like a cherry on this scene of like this thing happening. But um, I, I do really like it that Stanley comes in and goes, no, nah, I do. Yeah. And it just makes it more clear to the audience. Uh, I really like that when he cracks the secret. So, so sorry, not when he cracks the secret. When right after Stanley carries uh, Zeroni up the mountain, Zero up the mountain, mm-hmm. we cut to Stanley's dad in his in his kitchen, and he accidentally drops peaches, yeah, into his mixture or whatever, and then he cracks it, and he's like, "Wow, I, I cured foot odor or whatever." I actually really like that. I think it's a. Uh, it makes it very clear to us as viewers, like. 
the relation between these two events because mm-hmm. it's not how it plays out in the book. We just find out later that his dad figured out the difference or figured out how to how to fix this problem. Um, and I also love that it's peaches that fall in yeah. because they, we don't see that in the book. In the book, it's just mentioned that the the uh, the mixture smells vaguely like peaches, mm-hmm. like the the foot stuff smells like peaches. But we actually see peaches fall in. It's like, oh, OK, cool, because we get the pe- whole peaches thing. It's just, yeah. it's more like, you know. Peaches inter- connection. Doesn't elements. he say like it's peaches and onions? Yes. Uh, onions, yeah. the other yeah. magical vegetable in right. this yeah. um, movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Very clever. I really like when the rain falls on him at the end, uh, where the when, as they're leaving, uh, mm-hmm. it just starts pouring down rain and they're all like standing in the rain. That's not in the book. It's, it's not mi- in the book, no. It, it's mentioned that it rains afterward. Yeah, but like they it's, it's not, it starts to rain like as they're driving away. Right, but but we don't see them like. Yeah, they don't get to play. I think rain. it's like a that's a good like it's like it's your Shawshank moment yeah. where <laughs> exactly. Andy Andy Dufresne gets and you know, kneels down in the rain. Yeah, you get that moment. It's fun. Uh, the Poseidon statue at yeah. the end of the movie where he's holding a shovel. Yeah, I thought that it's was a, clever. It's, an, it's a fun ad. Yeah, it's Poseidon with a shovel. It's you know. <laughs> Makes sense. And then finally, the best change, the only change that matters in the entire movie is that the credits roll and Shia LaBeouf starts rapping. And he raps the plot of the movie. He raps the plot of the movie. Yes. That's like my favorite trope ever is when somebody raps the plot of the movie. And I was like, I bet that's one of the kids rapping. I didn't know it was Shia, but that is makes Shia. sense. It's also X-Ray at one point. So there's several oh, people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that but makes sense. Yeah, it, it changes like they each have like a verse or whatever. <laughs> but at least one of the verses is Shia and it's amazing. Uh, I love it a lot. It's terrible. It's, it's awful. It's terrible, but also amazing. It's it's right in that wheelhouse of early uh, 2000s Will Smith rapping about movie. being Jim West and yeah. uh, what's his name rapping about uh, sharks fins or whatever in Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Like, was that was that ice? Was that ice? One of the ices. <laughs> ice cube. <laughs> yeah, one of the ices. I think it was ice um, cube rapping about sharks fins. Um, but I uh, I love it so much. Uh, and Shia LaBeouf got a writing credit on that song. Really? I looked at the credits. Shia LaBeouf, there's like 12 writers, but Shia LaBeouf is one of them. (laughs) All right. That was it for Better Than the Movie. Real quick, we're going to do a movie. Nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. All right, movie nailed it. Pretty simple. This is the things uh, that aren't better in one or better in the other. This is the things that were in the book that the movie just like crushed it. Yeah. so. So I went to first... Special shout out to the three evil adults. Yes, the three evil um, adults. Uh, Sigourney Weaver crushes it. John Voight crushes it. Uh, what's his name that plays Pendanski? Yeah, the guy crushes from, it. Yeah, a million things. Yeah, everything the Coen Brothers have ever made. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, all three of them were brilliantly, beautifully cast. Yeah, no, they're all they're all perfect yeah. for their role. Uh, all the kids, I think, honestly, too, uh, mm-hmm. even like the supporting kids actors, uh, specifically, I think Zero's great casting and that kid's not been in a ton of stuff even yeah. since then. Um, but I like the, the the thing in the book is explicitly says that his smile is too big for his face. Mm-hmm. And I think that that actor. Yeah. It, for some reason, when you see him, you're like, yeah, his smile. He has this big smile that just lights up his face. And I think it's it. it it's perfect for that for that character. When uh, Stanley initially gets to the camp and Mr. Sir is like, you want to run away? 
go ahead. Go ahead, run away. Um, that whole scene's yeah, identical. Like almost verbatim. Word for word, yeah. Which I don't know if we mentioned this earlier. We mentioned it in the prequel, but this movie was adapted by Louis, uh, Louis, Louis Sacker. Zacker. Yeah. Sacker, yeah. Uh, the guy who wrote the book wrote the screenplay, so yeah. he included a lot of his lines that he wanted in there. Um, and this is what, and, and not just the lines. To me, the thing that this movie really nails in terms of an adaptation is the details. Mm-hmm. All of these little things that if you're a book reader, if you read the book, um, that a lot of times like things like Harry Potter don't capture. Sometimes, sometimes they do, but a lot of the little details uh, are so spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, that like they're like the clothing is identical, like the the clothing that they wear, the orange jumpsuits, the hat with the thing that hangs down in the back to cover their necks yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, the water bottles, um, the water truck, like all of these little details. Um, the dialogue is is so much is so identical in so many scenes. Yeah, so much of it is pulled directly from the book, word for word from the book. Like in almost every scene that is in the movie, there's you know there's some that's cut, but everything mm-hmm. else is like identical. Uh, and then the like little details like the when they when they drink the spoo- sploosh, they can't get it open. So they break it open on the shovel. It's yeah. again, minute nonsense. But there's all little details from the book that if you read the book are like, yeah, this is this is yeah. the book I read. So there you go. Uh, and I also really like and I mentioned earlier, but the, the Pendansky character arc from uh, sort of seemingly good natured oaf to evil asshole. Yeah. The movie kind of captures mm-hmm. perfectly. Um, even uh, though he is a slightly different. Yeah, it's slightly different, but pretty much the same. Uh, Madame Zeroni and uh, Ilya and that whole backstory with the pig stealing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the potentially problematic. Well, I have like, I have thoughts of, on it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, potentially problematic portrayal of Latvian culture. I don't know, uh, but. It, we'll we'll talk about it. I have well, yeah. It's it was interesting, but but it is similar. The the whole yeah. storyline, at least, is kind of identical to what happens in the in the book. Um, uh, they spit in the holes when they're done digging them. Mm-hmm. It's a little detail right out of the book. And then Stanley can't get out of his first hole. Yeah, he, like, struggles to get out of it. Again, little detail. Uh, I also like Stanley writes letters home to his mom. And he like pretends that like it's like this fun summer camp that he's at where he's like, we're yeah. going, we're, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're, we're learning to water ski. We spent and... all day out on the lake. It was great. And then it's like, oh, yeah, it's again, right out, right out of the book. That was nice. Um, the way that Stanley gets his nickname of the caveman. Yeah. Is the exact same. Where he thinks they're talking about the guy he got in a fight with. But then yeah. it turns out they're talking about him. And he's like, wait, he's I'm like, caveman. He's like, oh, I guess I'm caveman now. Cool. All right. Great. <laughs> Uh, we, I like uh, again. I don't love all the details of the Sam and Kate storyline, but they do at least keep in the "I can fix that" recurring oh, thing. Iconic. It's, it's iconic. It's very reminiscent of "As You Wish" yes. from Princess Bride, uh, where every time she asks him to do something, instead of saying "As You Wish," he says "I can fix that," and then she says "I have a broken heart," and he says "I can fix that" and kisses her. It's great. It's great. Oh, Sam. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> Um, and then immediately off of that, the scene... Um, <laughs> the, uh, the polar opposite. <laughs> the polar opposite. Um, the scene where the sheriff is drunk, um, where she goes to try to get him to stop them from burning the schoolhouse. Yeah. Um, and he says, I always get drunk before a hanging. Yeah. Um, and and, she, oh, the yeah. line, that, and she goes, uh, 
because it's illegal uh, for him to kiss you. And she goes, well, I kissed him. And he goes, well, it's not illegal for you to kiss him. It's illegal for him to kiss you. Yeah. It's like, fuck, Jesus Christ. Uh, and then they kill Mary Lou. They shoot the donkey. They shoot Sam. It's it's a little more brutal in the book, but basically spot yeah. on, like we mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, the zigzag Stanley fight is identical, where they get in a fight, and then uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Pendansky, like, eggs him on and is like, fight mm-hmm. him, hit him, Stanley. And then after they get into a fight for a little while, Zero runs in and almost chokes <laughs> Zigzag to death. Same thing. Uh, and then everything that happens after that is identical. Uh, yeah. To the movie or to the book. Um, and then Stanley stealing the truck. Um, in the movie, it's kind of implied that it was a little more planned out. Yeah, because he like walks up there the with book. the guy who steals trucks with the yeah. kid who steals cars. Where in the movie or in the book, it's just like a spur of the moment decision. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to steal this truck. And then yeah. he just jumps in and was does that, it. Was that um, kid the him- in, the, in the book? The, the, the car yeah. stealer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he is in the thief. book, um, but he they don't like plan or anything, which to me, it felt like in the movie, it's implied that like maybe they like maybe he talked, talked a little bit about it. About it. Whereas it in, the, like it. in the book, he just hops in and then the kid who steals trucks just does the same thing, yells, get it, put it in gear or whatever <laughs> yeah. and drive away. But and then he immediately drives it into a hole, immediately drives it into a hole. So yeah, it's pretty <laughs> similar. Uh, um the whole, but the whole ending of this movie is like identical. He finds Zero under the boat. They drink the sploosh. They climb the mountain. Uh, Zero slices his hands on the shovel. Uh, Zero gets sick from the sploosh and throws up and almost dies. They eat a bunch of onions. They eat a bunch of onions. Again, it's it's like identical pretty much. Um, and then the final line, not the final line, but uh, the final <laughs> final point in uh, the movie nailed it is that, and it's I think it's a great line in the. In the and it feels very much like a movie line in the book, but mm-hmm. it's in the book. Is that uh, Stanley decides, "Hey, I'm feeling lucky. We should go dig one more hole." Yeah. Do you want to dig one more hole? And Zero's like, "Yeah." And I, again, it's it, it's one of those moments that feel it's a very like dramatic. End. It's like at the end of a chapter in the book where it's like Stanley's like, "Do you want to dig one more hole?" Boom. Next chapter, and they're like going on. Let's but, do it. Yeah. All right. That was it for the movie. Nailed it. We have a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. When I when I started up the movie and like the opening credits were rolling, I was like, my first thought was like, oh, it's a good thing I don't have tryptophobia. Oh, with the with shots, all the, with all the, the holes, yeah, yeah, the shot down from the sky with all the holes. What is that fear holes? <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, it is. That yeah. is what it is. But specifically, so if anybody doesn't know what tryptophobia is, um, there's a whole subreddit for it on Reddit. Yeah. But if you look don't up, Google don't it. Google it's it. Disgusting. It's disgusting. Oh, uh, right. It, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, generally, it's usually like in relation to like skin yeah. and that sort of thing. Where it's, it's clusters of holes, clusters of holes, uh, and it's even worse. Usually, it, it's it freaks people out more when it's like on skin or that yeah. sort of thing. But it is. There's a couple shots in the movie that even just in the ground it's like kind of yeah. off-putting but uh but yeah I, you wanted to suss out why pendansky hates zero so much well I, I know this is a big part of like his reveal as like a secret asshole yeah is the fact that he's he's fairly nice to the other boys for the but most just part a giant asshole. but he's a giant he's always a giant asshole to zero and i'm i, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit yeah it is interesting, and I think, I think it's the I think the goal with that moment or with that decision is to make us kind of see from the beginning 
that maybe he's not quite like what he seems what he to be, seems to be yeah. by having him be this uh, slight jerk to zero from the start. Yeah, for no apparent for reason. For no apparent reason. And then just get meaner and meaner and then even become meaner and meaner to everybody over the course of the book. Uh, I think it's just sort of I think that's the main thing. I also think he's just such a giant asshole that um, because we in the movie, we find out that he's not actually a doctor. Right now, that's not in the book. But let's say that that's the case. Let's say that's part of the story. Um, I think his picking specifically on somebody he susses out as stupid. Mm hmm is a very much a projection type of thing. Whereas assuming we're going with the, he's not actually a doctor, but he calls himself a doctor and they call him a doctor. Uh, Him picking on a kid saying you're stupid when he knows that he's operating Mm -hmm. under this false identity as a smart person, quote unquote, (laughs) uh, feels very uh, poignant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, April, what is this note which starts with reverse (laughs) racial profiling? I'm not sure I know what this note is. Well, I mean, the movie starts off and Shia LaBeouf catches these shoes from seemingly heaven. They drop from the The skies. And then um, a cop is like pulls over a black cop and he's like, hey, kid, where'd you get those shoes? How did you how could you (laughs) afford a pair of shoes like that? So I was like, what? And then you find out later there's they're like famous (laughs) missing shoes. Those shoes were they had an APB out on those shoes. So uh, but I was just like, oh, that's kind of you don't usually see that like, you know. I mean, I'm I'm taking a very 2019 attitude toward it. But no, for sure. And that's no, no, that's totally fair because I have a whole section about that that I want to get to here in a second. Is that this and and this book even more so than this movie is incredibly uh, and especially reading it this time is incredibly progressive. Did you feel this, Katie? Yes. Um, it has so much to say about society that I did not remotely get as a ten year old. It feels even more poignant today than it did fifteen years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like uh, it it here just kind of go through some of the things that this book presents and again that are in the movie, but not always as sort of similar to Harry Potter, where the themes aren't quite as. Yeah, the themes to the forefront. The themes are not at the forefront of the storytelling. But so our main villain in the flashbacks in this story are Trout Walker, who's this rich, entitled white asshole who's being mean to an interracial couple and hate mm-hmm. and, and, and it's like. Constantly shitty to women, shitty to women, shitty to the black guy in town. Um, And he's he's from old money. He didn't work for his money, all that sort of stuff. And he's just super entitled, uh, super thinks he should get whatever he wants. And that line does make it into the movie where he says, nobody says no to me. And she says, well, I just did. Yeah. Um, You know, and that's straight out of the book. Uh, All of the bad guys in this book and this movie are old abusive white people yes every single one literally every single one and all of the heroes are immigrants they're people of color they're economically disadvantaged people um so stanley himself is not an immigrant but his family is immigrants Mm -hmm. from latvia um zero uh person of color a lot of the campers uh x-ray armpit uh um magnet are all people of color, and then and then even even the the like zigzag who isn't he's a, a just seeming we don't know a lot about his backstory, but he's mm-hmm. seemingly a white guy. Um, uh, it's implied in the book more so than in the movie that he has some sort of uh, 
he's like paranoid and maybe schizophrenic yeah. potentially. Well, it's, it's a big fat commentary on who gets sent to prison. Yes, oh, yeah. it is a big fat commentary on the type of people who ends up in prison. Yeah, it's it's people of color. Uh, it's it's economically disenfranchised people. Yeah. And it's uh, and it's people who suffer from uh, uh, mental illnesses, that sort of thing. Um, Generally, you know, and again, it is a big commentary on that sort of thing. And uh, and so, yeah, those are all of our heroes in this. And then uh, I think one of the other things I thought was really interesting that I did not notice the first time is that. So one of the big storylines is zero runs into the desert and nobody goes after him. They don't care. They're just going to let him die in the desert. Mm -hmm. And they're like, nobody will find him. Nobody will care about him. Nobody cares about Hector Zeroni. And Stanley eventually decides, I'm going to go after him. He's like, I'm going to, I'm got to, I got to go find him. I got to chase after him. And Stanley doesn't even realize he's doing this. But in this moment, he's actually using his privilege of having a family, of having people who care about him to help uh, other people, to use that privilege to, to, to bring up other people. Because him going into the desert to find Zero, he thinks he might just go find him. Maybe he'll save him. But even if he doesn't uh, like f- actively save him himself, Stanley has people that will come look for him. Yeah. Stanley has people because he has his family is not well to do. They're lower, lo- like, you know, uh, lower um, financially lower class, that sort of thing. But he has uh, they have some money that, you know, that sort of thing. They're not homeless. Um, their family has a lawyer. They're going to come try to find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas zero doesn't have that. And I think that's a really interesting commentary. Yeah. And then also just so much of this, like I I love too that Stanley over the course of the book realizes that zero doesn't like asking questions because his whole life as a ward of the state, he just gets asked questions by all of these people who don't care about him, Mm -hmm. but ask him all these questions because it's part of, you know what they have to do. And so this is sort of this thing for Stan or for zero that he doesn't like, doesn't like answering questions. Uh, So Stanley doesn't ask him questions. He listens to him. He lets him talk when he wants to talk. Uh, and he lets him offer him information. Uh, and I think it's a really good commentary on Stanley being like sort of sensitive to like what Zero's trauma is and mm-hmm. like where he's come from. And instead of just like inserting himself into Zero's life and trying to fix things, he just listens. Yeah. Which is like a really cool message <laughs> um, in the book. Again, not all of this is super obvious in the movie, I don't think, or as obvious. Um, and then obviously the Kate and Sam storyline uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Right. It's bigotry and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but it, there's lots of details like that in this book that I think are really, really good and really, really like just stuck out to me so overtly this this read through that that I did not get the the first go around as a kid. So I don't know. That it's cool shit. Had. It's cool shit. <laughs> it's not what I thought I was getting when I watched this movie. <laughs> like I thought yeah. it was yeah. just a. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf, you know, adventure comedy. Um, I didn't think yeah. it would have such big <laughs> themes, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is really cool. And and the movie, again, the movie is not quite as successful, but it definitely has them for mm-hmm. sure. Like it, you mm-hmm. still get them. It, they're still there. Uh, they're just not quite as uh, they don't hit home quite as hard as they do in the book. But it's, they're definitely still there. And, and it's definitely if you watch the trailer, not what you're expecting going into <laughs> <No>. the movie. <laughs> You enjoyed the CGI lizards? Well, I, yes. (laughs) Well, I I like, I like bad CGI now and then. Um, I thought it was, uh, I I laugh whenever I saw them. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there. No, we also laughed. (laughs) Yeah, we also laughed. They are fun in that regard. 
So the lawyers from Disclosure. What's Disclosure? Disclosure. It's a movie we did on the podcast a few months oh, ago. Yeah. Uh, it's about Michael Douglas getting sexually harassed by Demi Moore, and that nice. woman plays a lawyer <laughs> in that too. So it's like the same huh. character, kind of. I was like, hey. I'm gonna have to look up if she's ever been in Law and Order. Now yeah, I right? feel like everybody yes. who does bit roles has been in Law and Order. Yeah. I think I'm gonna be disappointed I, if I'm she was almost a hundred percent sure she was in law and order i recognize her from something specific and it's driving me crazy it's that i probably can't figure law out. and order i don't think i didn't watch a lot of law and order but it's something she's been like in that. like a ton of stuff in like yeah. small roles i felt like you know I, overall i thought this movie was pretty good but i did think that the uh the filmmake the filmmaking style and i don't know if you felt this way april or katie mm-hmm. was kind of very felt felt very much dated to 2003 yeah. yes definitely yeah. Um, like the things that stuck out to me, like we talked about the montages earlier, but not, like montage you can use in a way that's like mm-hmm. a little more timeless. The way they use it in this movie is we're literally, it's a montage and then we're putting like a contemporary pop song with lyrics over it. Yeah. Like they played shag- Shaggy yeah. at one point. Do you guys remember oh, Shaggy? Yeah, I remember Shaggy. <laughs> Who doesn't? Please. I didn't know Who what song it was, Shaggy? but I, the the voice was unrec. It was very recognizable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just like if you're gonna do a montage, don't put lyrics unless it's unless it's Eye of the Tiger. Don't put <laughs> lyrics to the to the montage. Um, also, they did a lot of the th- uh, they did a lot of um, slow mo, like at random uh-huh. times. Mm-hmm. Like just insert shots of slow mo, but it's not because of I guess the time period when it was shot. It's like low frame rate slow mo to where mm-hmm. it's like they they're shooting this at twenty four frames or twenty three nine seven or whatever whatever they shot it at, and then they slowed it to like fifty percent so you get the stuttery twelve frame per second slow mo or whatever, which doesn't look great. Um, Especially not nowadays when we have when we can shoot when we want to shoot slow mo we shoot it at a higher frame rate so mm-hmm. when we slow it down it looks good, um, but uh, yeah it just it it all felt a lot of that all felt very dated to me, didn't look great yeah the cinematographer is a guy who's worked on a lot of TV shows he did a bunch of episodes of Lost mm. and something else but this was like mm. his first thing that he did like mm. was this movie, um, and then after that he went on and did like TV shows and stuff but. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was a little dated, but the other than that, pretty good. Um, any other notes anybody want to talk about before we get to the final verdict? Anything uh, specific? Well, we the whole mention? like pig stealing plot line mm-hmm. was a little weird because I, like it's almost supposed to be like this romantic story about how this guy wants to marry this girl, um, but her father yeah. like wants him to like pay him because he's like this other suitor gave me a pig. And he's like, well, I love her. And he's like, I think I'd yeah. rather have the pig. So that's what that's why he ends up going to the old lady. And yeah. she's like, bring this pig up the mountain and it'll get big. So he brings her the pig or sorry, he brings the father the pig. And then he's like, now I can marry you. And she's like, well, I think I'm going to compare the pigs. So she does. And then she's like, mm, I'm not sure. And he's like, what? You don't like instantly want to marry me? Like, fuck you. And then just leaves. <laughs> And it's like, dude, yeah. like he's he, it's like he just expected her to like just like drop and fall in love with him and be like, OK, I want to marry you. And also the other suitor was the guy from Borat. 
He is the guy from Borat. <laughs> I totally funny. realized that, which I did not. Obviously, when I saw this the first time in 2003, I don't, I don't know. I guess Borat came out around that time, but uh, I did not realize that was Borat or the guy from Borat. But yeah, holy cow. I was like, that's from Borat. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> which, Katie, have you ever seen Borat? I actually haven't. Oh, uh, yeah. That, well, the scene he's in I is managed to miss one hell of a scene, or at least one of the scenes he's in yeah. is, boy, something else. Um, but yeah, I, that was that was mind blowing to me, this go around. Um, I think that might be this this your this particular note might be a bit of a, a um, more of an issue in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think the implication in the book is that they've that um, that Elia, who is the guy with the pig uh, uh, and um, and this girl have been sort of courting for a while. At least that's how I felt it their relationship was that uh, I don't, or do you not get that i didn't get the idea that they were actually like courting but he had been like in love with her for okay. a while yeah but then well that's interesting why, why does he does he just leave because does she reject him is that what happens in the book yeah so the exact same thing happens in the in the movie as as does in the book where she doesn't immediately pick him mm-hmm. and yeah. so he's like well then he's screw this insulted. because obviously yeah, he's insulted. Um, I guess, and now I really see what you're saying. I, I think that is an interesting read of it, of him sort of being this entitled, like, well, obviously you should pick me because I look how handsome I yeah. am um, type of thing. I, I always read it more so that, like, and I think this is what the book's going for, but I, I do like your read on this, actually. No, I, I like this read on it. I think the the I think what we're supposed to get from the book is that he's like disappointed that she's like kind of comparing them equally yeah like him and the other suitor because it's supposed to be very clear in the book that this other guy is completely only interested in her but i like this moderating in the book it's supposed to be that he's only completely that this other guy is only interested in her because she's like the young pretty girl in town and he doesn't love her he doesn't care at all about her he just he's like I want the youngest, prettiest bride in town. Here's my pig. I'm the rich old guy who gets to marry whoever I want. Mm -hmm. And where we're supposed to identify, at least we're supposed to identify with Elia, who were described is described in the book as actually being in love with her. Like he thinks Mm -hmm. she's beautiful and he really like seemingly again, but we don't get, now that I'm thinking about it, we don't get a lot of details about their, any sort of relationship or anything to the point where it is honestly to her, What's the difference other than like purely, purely right. like other than purely like Ilya is not disgusted. But right. he could just be like Which, a crazy stalker to her. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the point. Like, it, like that's all that's actually like in um, like other than the fact that Ilya is handsome and this other dude's not. That's actually puts more almost more agency onto her that she doesn't just immediately pick the handsome guy that she doesn't know over the. Over the the non handsome guy, guy that, that she doesn't, doesn't know. know. Because <laughs> to her, like the, the non handsome guy could be nicer than this other yeah, guy. Yeah. From the from what we know. You know what I mean? Like the handsome guy could be fucking abusive and awful. And now I think the implication, again, in the book is that it's the 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 the, the fat, ugly guy with the money is actually sort of also probably an asshole and that sort of yeah. thing, like is what we're supposed to get. But we don't get enough details to actually get that reading out of it. So I like this. I like this reading. And I like that this is all sort of started off because Elia is an entitled asshole. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, he doesn't carry Madame Zeroni up a mountain. Yeah. What a jerk. So what a jerk. And I like then that his a lot. family is cursed for all eternity. Cursed for all eternity. 
We didn't mention it earlier. I'm realizing now we didn't talk about the reveal that Mr. Sir is actually a woman. Well, I don't even know if that was the joke. Was the- it is. No, it is. It uh, well, it absolutely oh, yeah. is. Which is, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. says, because at first the joke is just. Um, it's not a man's name. It's not a man. Marion. That's not. I, I didn't think that was a man's name. Uh, and they all laugh at him. And then and then and now maybe this isn't the joke, but it sure felt like it to me. John Voigt goes. It isn't like in a way of like, yeah, I'm not I thought he was just saying thing. I have a girl's name, but I guess you it, could that's read possible. it that way. I, you, could, you could read it either way. I think you write it either way. I, to me, I was like, mm, that feels like maybe they're going yeah. for a different read on yeah. that than. Yeah. Which was, like I said, really disappointing. But if that was the read they were going for, either way, it's still it's stupid. Still, and like, not still, in the book, yeah. right? Gross. No, no, not, not at, at, all. at all. None of that is Didn't in the book. Think so. Not even a little bit. No, not at all. Uh, not at all. All right, let's get on to the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Before we do that, we have a couple things that we could ask you to do for us. One, uh, if you could do us a big favor, if you enjoyed this episode... Uh, go find this film is lit on iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast, mainly iTunes. Do it on iTunes. Uh, give us a rating and a review. That's the only thing that matters. Let's be real. Uh, give us a rating and a review. That helps out our podcast a lot. Uh, it would be super awesome if you could do that. Uh, also, you can find us on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all that sort of good stuff. But also, April, your podcast. Where can people find you? Um, we're on iTunes. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud. Uh, I guess iTunes is Apple podcast, um, Google play and Spotify. So all like the major places. And we have a Twitter account, which is, uh, at no such thing pod. Or if you want to email the podcast, we're, uh, no such thing as a bad movie at gmail.com. Cool. And one more time, that was No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Podcast. If you like bad movies, if you like talking about bad movies, but with a very positive spin, that's one of the things I love about it. It's because what we try to do on Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad, if you like our show, if you haven't listened to No Such Thing as a Bad Movie, is it's it's not a tearing down. It's not mm-hmm. a mean thing. It's, it's a, fun, a love letter. It's a love letter to bad <laughs> movies, and I really do enjoy the positivity of it, uh, and I, I think it's it's... Because, you know, there's, there's lots of bad movie channels out there that are about tearing people down and being assholes. Mm-hmm. And I, I we try not to do that on Good, Bad or Bad, Bad. And I really like that you guys do the same thing on No Such Thing as a Bad Movie. Uh, and so I highly recommend it. Go check them out. They're fantastic. Thank you. And I can give a little uh, preview to the next episode, which we're recording Ooh, yeah. tomorrow. Um, we're going to be doing one of the Resident Evils. I think the the second one, Resident Evil Apocalypse and Peter Jackson's <laughs> Dead Alive, which I've never seen. I've never I'm, seen either. Of those. I'm seeing it uh, tomorrow. That's like Dead Alive j- is like a classic. Not not even a bad yeah. movie. Are you just we've had a lot of people recommend Peter Jackson movies for good, better, bad, bad. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure none of these are actually bad movies, but, sh- you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> they could. What about The Hobbit? Well, that's oh, except bad. for The yeah. Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you just starting randomly on the second uh, Resident Evil movie yeah. or did you do? No, the first I haven't one? seen okay. the first one because I didn't remember. I was like, did I miss Because I didn't remember seeing you guys do the first no, one. Just uh, Justin on the just said one. the second one was the funniest. So also it was shot <laughs> all in Toronto. So we could see there all these lo- nice. locations that we knew. So that was Local yeah, landmarks. that was fun. <laughs> awesome. So time for the final verdict. 
I have to give this one just barely to the book. The movie does an incredible job of capturing so many details and great moments from the book. The plot is essentially identical with only minor tweaks, but the way the multiple storylines are woven together just doesn't quite work as well, I think is evidenced by what we've discussed with April over the course of this episode, Mm. as it does in the book. The pace and timing at which the book doles out little clues and little pieces of information is just so perfect, and it all leads up to the moment in the end where everything just clunks into place so perfectly that I'm not sure the movie really ever had any chance of matching it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, While the book and the movie are pretty dang close, um, I I agree that the book's strength and slight superiority lies in how the moving parts are revealed to fit together. And it's unfortunate, but I think the movie may have always been doomed to do this a little clunkily. Yeah. Also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I read this book, especially in our (laughs) current political landscape, as a fiercely progressive and empowering story, although not perfect, that speaks truth to power. And it's so incredibly disappointing that the movie includes an offhand transphobic punchline in like the waning moments of the movie. Uh, It's a giant hole in the moral fabric of this film and a reminder that even while a piece of media can exceed on so many levels... Uh, It humanizes neurally atypical people. It criticizes absurd amounts of inherited wealth. It condemns racism and bigotry. It shows those of us who are privileged how to be better allies that it can still fall short. Uh, And I think that should be a powerful reminder to all of us that we can always do better. Two thumbs up. (laughs) Well said. So there you go. I also uh, I wanted to say I didn't read this book, but I I read three other Lewis Zacker books growing up, which is the the Wayside School series. I love those. Yes. Yeah. And those are the only ones of his that I had read. But like um, I think Katie was saying in the prequel, those were read to me uh, and in school. Uh, I think I was in grade three and I thought they were just hilarious. And I love them so much that I bought them and I still have them on my shelf today. And that's why I was a little bit like shocked by all the the violence and 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 racism in this book. Yeah. (laughs) The Wayside books are definitely Definitely more on the silly yeah, side. Yeah, they're for yes. younger children for sure. Yeah, but I would totally yeah. recommend yeah. that series because, um, like, for for kids or you know, adults. Because I thought it was, I thought it was great. I, I think they made it into a cartoon, but I never saw it. They did. I looked this up. They did uh, because I was looking at like to see if Louis Sacker had or uh, Louis Sacker had written any other uh, movies or anything, and mm-hmm. he has a writing credit on that show. It's like a TV or a TV movie. Oh, okay. Uh, like a TV animated TV movie. He has a writing credit on that. Um, I have not seen it, so I don't know if it's any good. But I also yeah. loved the Wayside Story books uh, as a kid. I read all of them and thought they were hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's a heavier material, but uh, also I think a little more uh, poignant at times. Yeah. Uh, than- um, and I'm I'm glad that this seems to be one that's read in school a lot. Yeah. Because I. I don't like the term required reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is a book that I think should be required <laughs> reading. It's close. To, yeah. As much <laughs> as that word should apply to anything, yeah. this is probably up there. I, I, I would agree because, again, I think it has really great um, moral messages as mm-hmm. well as just being an incredibly satisfying and really interesting read. Yeah. To like really get you thinking about what literature can be as a child mm-hmm. in terms of different storylines and all. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. So, Katie. What's next? Up next, we are kicking off spooky season. Spooky season. And we are going to do 
Interview with the Vampire. Ooh. Oh, I've never seen this oh, movie. Oh, it's a great movie. I've, I, is it a good I movie? I think so. I've never seen it. I've never read oh, it. Right. I, I know I know a couple of vague things about it, and I'm very excited. Is this the one? Hold on. This is going to reveal my... Is this got Brad yeah. Pitt in it? Yes. Okay. I've been cool. watching that Just movie sure. since I was like 10 or younger. <laughs> Watched that movie very young because, you know, little girls are always into vampires. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. I mean. they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. I hadn't seen it, though. Uh, I'm excited to watch it because I've always heard good things, yeah. I feel like, about the movie. Uh, so, I, I honestly, wanted another one of these that I had no idea was based on a book. Mm-hmm. So, which happens like every week, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Oh, all right. That is going to do it for this week. Uh, we want to give you one more quick reminder. If you could do us a favor, if you want, go find us a uh, a clip for each of our segments. Go listen to the segment. You, you just listen to this episode. Find the clips that make sense from movies that you love. Bonus points if they're from adaptations. They don't yeah. have to be. But if they're from all of the ones currently are. Yes, they are. I think. I made sure of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if they're from adaptations, even better. Like I said, bonus points. But they don't have to be necessarily. But that would be better. So go and do that for us. We would really, really appreciate it. Send it to our, our Gmail or Facebook, Twitter, whatever you want. Also, one more time, go check out No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Pod uh, with April Mansky, Colin, and Justin. Justin, yes. And as always, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else... Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome. There I am! <laughs> April's in on it. Nice. Well done. <laughs>